welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me is Chloe Williams. Okay, but here to um, recite the entire Choose Life monologue, it's Chloe Williams. Go, come on. That's all. St- stage is yours. Um, you you have a, you have the option of T two or uh, the first train. Yeah, you get two different. Yeah, you have two. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I so yeah. I mean I guess we're kind of getting into it, but I have not I did not rewatch the first one because um in uh in preparation to watching T2. Mm-hmm. Um even though it's been god knows how long since I saw the first one. And I remember mm-hmm. I remember like a good chunk of it. I remember the style and stuff, but I also but like I don't but I I was still like kind of lost at some points. Um especially when it comes to like characters popping up you're like oh yeah they were in the first one mm-hmm. okay um like did you remember kelly mcdonald's for instance no no i didn't remember oh. any of them oh wow uh sounds like someone women. hasn't seen transpotting 15 times uh <laughs> since you were a teenager so i have or... a huge strategic advantage well that's <laughs> because play <laughs> does heroin that's yeah. why oh, he lives the transpotting yeah. <laughs> I don't need to watch I'm, it, man. Yeah, right. It's too immersive. I might have seen this back in like 20, the first one back in like, oops, uh, back in like 2014, 2015. Yeah. So it's yeah, because like this is a real a like 15 year old movie for Absolutely. Us. Yeah, this is one of those right? movies where you're like, I'm getting into film. Hell yeah, some we stuff did. I can get into. Yes. Train spotting. <laughs> it's edgy. It's an, It takes place in Scotland. <laughs> it has Obi-Wan Kenobi in it. <laughs> Oh man, this is this is wild because this, uh, I'm just gonna I'm going to be like a super old guy through this entire episode. I saw Transpotting. If it makes you feel any better, everyone is. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's is here. <laughs> I saw Transpotting when it came out in the theaters when I was 15 years old. I mean, I'm almost 16. Like I when it was when it was released into movie theaters in July 1996. Me and my best friend Rob went to go see it, and somehow we're allowed. We're, we shouldn't have been allowed in to see it because it was rated R. Fifteen. Yeah. yeah oh, that's yeah. rough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were cool. It was fine. <laughs> he was. I, mean, I saw it at fifteen, but I'm really, like just seeing, but like look, just thinking about the usher looking at a fifteen year old and being like, like, mm, yeah, yeah. It 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 was at the like this the older mall. I feel like they were less stringent because he and I were definitely flagged the previous year when we tried to go see Desperado, the Robert <laughs> Rodriguez film, and were ejected yeah. from that theater. Uh, but train you would think like train is way worse than Desperado. It's it's much yeah. more like yeah. it's uh it's much more disturbing and un- inappropriate. But I don't know if my parents bought us the tickets or if they just I think the the other mall just didn't care. So, but that was the first time I saw it, and then I just watched it only like fifteen or sixteen additional times. Yeah, yeah. You just you just a want reasonable, the a reasonable yeah, amount. <laughs> yeah, a more intimate experience. Yeah, you and yeah. McGregor, Obi Wan right. Kenobi, when he was when he was when you and McGregor was Obi Wan Kenobi, it was like the guy from Train Spotting is Obi Wan mm-hmm. Kenobi. That That's so yeah. fucking cool. Was yeah. that funny? Nineteen years old. Yeah, it's yeah. Wild. And um, then then the guy who played. Um, Franco became Rumpelstiltskin in the ABC <laughs> yes. show Once Upon a Time. Yes, uh, that was that was did not escape unnoticed by my my wife who watched that show. And I've, I've seen I watched that show like, before Train Spotted, <laughs> so I knew fucking Robert Carlyle as fucking Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> from an ABC television show that was kind of edgy. Yeah. Um, like there's like real murder and stuff. And yeah, yeah. I fucking and that was like, oh my gosh, it's Rumpelstiltskin. 
doing yeah. heroin. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was Rumpelstiltskin's story. Um, yeah, like, I feel like I, <laughs> better than fucking Jack. I can. Better than me. Better than me. Yeah. I can do a better Irish. Yeah. I, I put the bar pretty low for Jesse to succeed. I, yeah. You know, I'm just, yeah. But yeah. Um, when Transpending yeah. came out, like all of those guys, you would, I would, we, I, you would watch if you were a huge fan of that movie as I was as a teenager for the next 10 to 30 years. I was going, it's not been mm-hmm. 30 years yet, the next 10 to 27 years. I've been going, oh shit, it's, it's Begby. Oh shit, it's Spud. Not so often it's Tommy because he usually isn't Tommy. Uh, or or oh shit, yeah. it's sick boy on CBS's Elementary, another show. My well, yeah, come to think of it, my my wife will watch any show with a train spotting alum in a, <laughs> in like a featured role. Um, so yeah, like it was always, but like, they were all I've seen them all for the. I guess I'd seen you and Gregor in Shallow Grave before that, but like not you know that's like mm-hmm. the only thing. It, so that these, is crazy to think about. The guys were like these were like my guys from Train Spotting, which is ridiculous because I was the yeah. most straight edge nerdy kid imaginable. But like these were my buddies from Train Spotting. <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi, Rumpelstiltskin, yeah. and Sherlock Holmes were in a movie together. Yeah, and they, and I would like, to, and for someone my age, that's like the movie they were in together. Like, that's the main mm-hmm. thing they were in. <laughs> but it's funny because they come back to the movie after they've been Obi-Wan Kenobi, yeah, Sherlock yeah. Holmes, and Rumpelstiltskin. It's pretty amazing that all of them are either like hugely successful in television, um, an incredibly reliable character actor, or... Hugh McGregor. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a stroke of genius, of course. Um, and I love uh Ewan McGregor's uh we'll we'll get, I'm sure, much more into Hugh McGregor as we go on, but like his movies in between um Phantom Menace and the first train spotting are always interesting because it's like, you know, you have a life less ordinary and like yeah. Some interesting things like Velvet Goldmine. Um, yeah, and it's and he just eventually works up to um, being Obi-Wan. But it, I mean, what's more, um, what's more important that, you know, we'll also get into is like being Obi-Wan and not doing the beach uh-huh. are sort of like a sliding doors moment <laughs> into, um, you know, putting pause on that relationship with Nanny Boyle, or do you want to play one of the more iconic roles of all time? But uh, right, right. today we have T2 Train Spotting, one of the worst titles <laughs> also of, of the 2010s, which we'll get into. Um, for one of the worst titles for a really great movie in my eyes, but today we have Jesse Hasinger with us. Hi, thank you guys Lovely for having me. Yeah, I'm so course. excited to talk about this movie. A much better movie than the last time. Here, <laughs> also, yeah, worth noting. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's let's get into like the first. Of, let's I think we already have, but properly, let's do um like first time that we saw um Train Spotting and then T two and also like since this is our first time covering Danny Boyle, uh, and when we first cover an auteur, we like to sort of like. This is our relationship with uh, with ex auteur. Nice, yeah, yeah. As as I I mentioned that I saw I saw Train Spotting when I was a teenager. That is probably why I have such a relationship with Danny Boyle. Um, it's so interesting. Well, so I'm going to be so interested to hear you guys talk about 
how you came to this because it's such a foreign perspective to me. Like, of course, there's tons of directors where I came to them as teenagers as established people. Uh, but Boyle was someone who I really felt like I was discovering in the moment. Like I saw Shallow Grave, not in the theaters, but when it came out in video, it was like a, you know, very, it was very hyped. And then I saw Train Spotting like a couple weeks after it came out. I'm shocked how quickly it came to my hometown because I was, I thought it was going to have to wait months to see it. Um, so I was really on board. I was said on, a, I was on a different podcast um, called uh, Authorized that does, um, looks at authorized novelizations and i made them do they were like which one do you want to do and i was like i'm gonna can we do a lifeless ordinary because <laughs> it has a book that they made from the screenplay by john hodge who's also adapted transporting um and i wanted to do it because i love a lifeless ordinary so much and love all i really love Boyle's stuff in general um which i'm sure is kind of like a I feel like it's a basic film bro thing but not even of now. Like, do you like, like a, uh, Shallow Grave? Yeah, I like Shallow Grave. Okay, but I love uh, Transplanting. I love Lifeless Ordinary, mm-hmm. and I'll defend the the Lifeless Ordinary and the Beach. Um, really like Twenty Eight Days Later. Love Sunshine. Love Millions. Yeah. Um, yeah. and love T uh, Two. And really I'd like like to love almost everything of his. I was a little chill chilly on yesterday. <laughs> the yeah. uh, the Beatles musical. Um, only because I wanted Did to anyone love that movie. I, was there I a single like, person? I feel like I was trying I, to figure out. I feel out like if... people like it, but are willing to do the mental gymnastics to be like, yeah, this makes sense. This takes place it's... on Earth. Yeah. Well, yeah. I could yeah. see it. I could see it working for like someone who's not as into the career of Danny Boyle. If someone was coming into it more from the maybe from the Beatles angle, although I really yeah. love the Beatles and that would that I can see someone me. liking it. As like this is Danny Boyle as Richard Curtis, yeah, and it's the, more I, he's trying to do one of those kind of yeah, like and the, romantic comedies, yeah, but. exactly. Um, so I have you know a kind of a long history with I just you know I've always gone to see his movies when they you know as soon as I can. I really love his stuff, and I've been kind of bummed that he hasn't made one since yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. And so when he revealed, but the one before that was T two, and it was so interesting to me to see him. Because I feel like I always think I, one of the things I really value about him is the way he, you know, kind of perhaps self-consciously, but I think in a fun way, really genre hops a lot. Like, you know, he's done a horror movie and he's done a kids movie and he's done uh, whatever a lifeless ordinary is. <laughs> and he's done, you know, a survival drama and uh, like a sort of neo you know, Bollywood homage and that one best picture and best director and a biopic uh, hybrid. Yeah, he did a biopic that I really like a lot of Steve Jobs. Um, and so I, I having him do a sequel and revisit one of his sort of when he revisit a time when he was not really making movies that were so genre specific and really felt mm-hmm. more like this is just a Danny Boyle. I mean, Shallow Grave's a crime movie. It's sort of a neo-noir, but like Trainspotting and A Lifeless Ordinary and The Beach are sort of like, what are those movies? I mean, like mm. they're sort of comedies with The Beach, not really. It's like a weird time when he, before he was like this kind of genre hopping guy. And so, see, so to see him after doing, after doing that for so long, go back to his, to something where it's a little harder to define what Trainspotting is. It's sort of a comedy. It's sort of a drama sort of an addiction movie, sort of a, you know, a non-traditional addiction movie, sort of a crime movie, but not in kind of a half-assed way, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, when that, when this, when Transplanting 2 came out, it was like very trepidatious in some ways about the idea of him revisiting it, but also it's such an irresistible thing to me as someone who saw mm-hmm. the first one when they were 
16, 15, almost 16, to have him revisit it when I was, you know, now I think I was 36 when it, when it came out, uh, when the, when the second one came out. So it was just a very, that was like very a, a vivid marker for me that he was doing that. And it, um, so it makes sense to me that like the one movie he did since then is yesterday, which was sort of like, ah, oh, that's not really for me. Um, but yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious what you, how you guys came to it, not being a teenager when Transbody came out, bare, not being born, I don't think, when Transbody came out. <laughs> yeah. My God, I'm so yeah. old. <laughs> um, my parents weren't even married when, when <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, my parents were married in '97. I was born in '99. Wow. Yeah, it's not funny. Um, I was a teenager when T two came out. I saw it in theaters, meaning I was seated for it, and then the power went out. <laughs> wow. And then I think it was just one of those things where it's like I was, I was into movies at the time, but it's not to the point where it's like ah, shoot, what's the showtime tomorrow? I should probably make a priority for that. But then it was just sort of like, I think it was at the time, it was like, oh, oh, well, on to the next movie. Like, uh-huh. it, I don't know. It wasn't like I wasn't pumped for T2, but there was just not an excitement for it that I also felt. Um, because, yeah, you know, it didn't do great. Like, we'll get into it, but it's like... No, it was kind of, I think for a lot of people, it was anticlimactic. Yeah, it was um, a February movie, at least in the US. It I think it did fine to not great. And ultimately, it it, it took me until only uh, this year to see Transpiring 2 um, and was really taken with it. Um, we were talking just before we started, but um, I was following along with Blank Shack doing uh, Trains Podcasting, their Danny Boyle miniseries. And then that led me back to T2 Transpotting. Um, and we're promoting too many podcasts like... right now. <laughs> there is one real podcast. It's funny, and that's ours. Yeah. The reason... and it's almost major. Oh, shoot, yeah. sorry, sorry. No, no. The reason <laughs> the reason I wanted to talk about life was ordinary on that other podcast that I won't name again. Um, <laughs> it's because I was listening. The blank check was doing Danny Boyle, and so I, I got on my exercise bike and was like, "What should I listen to?" I'll listen to the blank check talking about Danny Boyle, and I had to turn it off. Not n- nothing against. Griffin and um, the other guy, David, uh, who seemed very nice boys. Uh, but I just, it was one of those things, and I think I talked about this unauthorized too, like where the, I, had, I had the irrational feeling of like, I should be allowed to talk about that. I should be on there talking about <laughs> Not me. I don't know them, mind you. And there's no reason that I would, I'm not an expert. I didn't forget Danny Boyle. I on for. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't remember. Cause I was just yeah, blinded yeah. with rage that it wasn't me. <laughs> Even though it's like there's again, there's no reason to expect that it would be. There, right. there's there are movies like that where I yeah. am like that. I'm like, I don't want to um, hear you talk about this. I want to hear me. Talk you have a certain about ownership. About yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So w- when I yeah. when I saw a list of possible things that I was thinking about what I could talk about on this show, I was like, oh, I'm going to keep talking about Danny Boyle. <laughs> I'm going to keep <laughs> I'm going to go back and fill in and do a podcast <laughs> on every fucking Danny Boyle movie. Just to and, prove it to Griffin and David. Like, just to, I, yeah. yeah the, to to yeah, people yeah. who are not who have never done anything wrong to me, except <laughs> yeah. uh, obliviously, you know, recruit someone perfectly smart to talk about. About yeah, yeah, yeah. I just you know they're movies that they're movies where I feel like there's a very there's pretty strong conventional wisdom on both of them. So if anyone's even even that's the same again, they're very thoughtful in how they talk about movies. But 
any any time it would even veer a little bit towards that, I would just want to throw my fucking phone out the window. So it's like I, I didn't even like try me and dread. Yeah. If I if anyone covered dread on a podcast, I would be so fucking upset. Like, why would you not have me on? <laughs> There's no reason. Why would it not just come to me somehow? Yeah, I'm literally the dread guy. That's my <laughs> that's my brand. That's your brand. Yeah. I post <laughs> clips of dread. I use gifts of dread. Like I'm dread. I am the law. <laughs> Yeah. Hello, Mark. So what you been up to for 20 years? Choose life. Choose Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and hope that someone somewhere cares. I missed you, man. I missed you too, Spud. Choose looking up old flames, wishing you'd done it all differently. Do you still take heroin? No. And choose watching history repeat itself. 20 years ago, we did a deal. Me, Begby, Spud, Mark. Mark stole £16,000. Oh, Franco. Simon, I'm home. Choose your future. Call the police. What shall I say? Just tell them we're dead. Choose reality TV, standing at the gates of the rich looking in at the Lamborghinis. Choose a zero-hour contract, a two-hour journey to work, and choose the same for your kids, only worse, until you can see that there'll be nothing left of you to call alive or dead. And then, take a deep breath. You're an addict. So be addicted. Just be addicted to something else. Choose the ones you love. Choose your future. Choose life. Quick yeah, what's the relationship with Voya? I, I feel like he's always been in my life because mm-hmm. it was the train spotting poster. Yeah, because he's a close relative of mine. Um, <laughs> it was the train spotting poster that was in a music ed teacher's classroom in high school. Um, Ooh, and I was teacher. like, oh, what's this? I, I mean, because I, I think it was, it was also like some movie soundtracks that were on the wall, like... Um, I think it was that and like Reservoir Dogs um, and that always intrigued me. And I think it was, uh, and we, and, and that always stuck with me. Um, I had known, like, there were just some posters that I had known from like relatives having DVD covers, I think, and Slip Dog Millionaire was one. Um, Yeah. And uh, we, we consistently mentioned on the pod that, uh, 2015 is a very important year for myself and Clay for getting into film and Steve Jobs is a very important movie for both of us for uh, for you know celebrating that uh, like undersung I showed it to you and, yeah, I saw yeah, it we, we saw it together a babysitter, yeah, that's right. and then I'm like Jack you need to watch this and after that I don't think I've ever seen you more pumped after watching a movie before <laughs> you're like that was fucking awesome <laughs> yeah and um 
What, yeah, what else? And then, you know, I think before the Blank Check series, um, I'd seen half of his movies, but then only this year I caught up with Life Less Ordinary. Uh-huh. I caught up with Sunshine, Millions, 127 Hours, Yesterday, and then I'd seen the rest. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I completely agree with everything Jesse is saying that um, such a chameleon of a director, but is, but it's purely cinematic. Yeah. Like has such a great visual flair and um, has such a dynamic camera work and exciting performances, um, great taste and sound that lets you convey what, what a uh, particular moment feels like. It's so funny I say that, yet I can I skip over the uh, the climax of 127 hours because I'm like I get it. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think that's it. I yeah, I feel like I've always really really liked Boyle, even if it's not a very exciting opinion, because um, it's like he's almost underrated at this point. Oh, I think so. Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of I think the like if you're hardcore, you might be kind of like whatever about him i feel like since slumdog millionaire especially absolutely because like did you entering know he the 20- did a miniseries i'm yeah, sorry yeah this is breaking news to me yeah no yeah pistol, i watched all of that right? yeah or, <laughs> oh yeah pistol, yeah yeah that's right yeah. Well, yeah well no i was just gonna mention also that it's like he goes into um uh the 2010s winning an oscar for slumdog and then leaves the 2010s with yesterday. And I feel like you just get such a shift with, <laughs> with a director like that. Cause it's like, I mean, Jesse, you can speak to this better, but like some dog, I can't, I just can't imagine that being a phenomenon. Like I'm sure it was. And yesterday just kind of, and then like he kind of ends after, um, after honestly 127 hours, his movies just don't, they're just not doing that great. Like Transformers. I mean, Sunshine was a bomb too. And that was well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm just I guess I'm more thinking of like Slumdog and 127 hours are like really gigantic hits, if I remember correctly. And um and then the ones following just kind of like dip after that, but he's still kind of relevant. Yeah, he he kind of to some extent, uh I mean Slumdog is sort of a right movie, right time kind of thing. But I think to some extent it's a really weird phenomenon. There's something that I um find really interesting about 2010s really uh late 2000s early 2010s is that you had so many guys who came up in the late 90s were all of a sudden making hit movies and it did not last that long but like from 2000 what's that Rich, with the yeah yeah guy Ritchie uh had a bunch of like mainstream blockbusters but even weirder ones like Darren Aronofsky had a couple mm. of hundred million dollar movies in a row uh, David O. Russell had multiple hundred million dollar movies in a row. He had like three big hits in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes Anderson, it's a little later, but 2014 had his biggest worldwide hit with Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, Alexander Payne was like, uh, Descendants did was one of his bigger hits. And Spike Jones did the did where the wild things are, which I'm sure they expected to do more, but it was still like a ninety million dollar grossing movie. Uh, Would you consider consider Tarantino as Boyle's contemporary? I uh, yeah, I mean they they you should because they um 
because Pulp Fiction came out the same year as Shallow Grave, and that was he had like mm-hmm. one movie. He was like one movie ahead, and like I guess some screenplays too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Boyle was working. And famously, like Train Spotting was like uh, had that tag of like um, the UK's answer to Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah, it was such a post Pulp uh-huh. Fiction movie, mm-hmm. and Tarantino like had had hits before, but he was it was sort of like kind of felt like a, finally that was sort of paying off in a bigger way. Like finally, a guy like something that was more akin to Tarantino I mean not that those movies have that much in common with Tarantino but contemporaries of Tarantino mm-hmm. who had sort of languished and even made some mainstream movies that didn't do that well like pain making election or you know uh you know I guess they're not wrecking for a dream is not that mainstream but like some of these you know guys who came up around the same time as Tarantino had never really had the very big hits beyond the art house for a brief period you were seeing like oh yeah all those guys are like big you know they're making 50 million dollar movies that gross 120 million dollar and some dog was like right at the center of that where it's like oh yeah that movie was like a massive hit and it won best picture and that kind of even went a little further one best picture and one best director and then 127 hours i don't think was as big but it still was like in that zone of like oh yeah De Boyle is like a big deal a list hit movies director now um m night uh, would you put him in the m night M. Night, because he had his, he was so commercial up front. I think of him differently. Yeah, I think that I agree. Um, but like, you know, a lot of the kind of hip 90s, you know, not not quite, usually they're a little pre music, they're not usually the music video guys, but like kind of uh, Jones and, and Michelle Gondry are. But like that, uh, even Michelle Gondry had the Green Hornet, which I know now is kind of thought of as like, oh, that didn't do that well. But like, again, $90 million movie that <laughs> Michelle Gondry directed. Um, and it wasn't some of those things were kind of compromised, like doing trying to do something more mainstream. But uh, some Dog Millionaire and a lot of those other ones uh, from Aronofsky and Russell and all those guys, they really felt like those directors movies. So that was just like an interesting period, I feel, where like it kind of I don't know. Now it kind of feels like a last gasp, although, you know, still stuff still hit. I mean, like I think as recently as 2019, you had a bunch of really good directors have like hit movies that were for grownups. But in retrospect, it's like right before the Avengers hits or like right around the time of those things getting bigger and bigger. And it does kind of feel like, oh, okay, that was sort of a turning point that we didn't realize how good we had it. Where like a lot of these directors who were, had really interesting careers were also getting this kind of mainstream acceptance. They were kind of assumed to be Oscar contenders and assumed to be, you know, stars, big starry movies. Um, so Boyle was sort of right in the middle of that. And it kind of felt like a, an especially dramatic change for him because he had these like... I guess 28 Days Later was a hit, but like Millions even, which is a very accessible movie, didn't really do business here. Sunshine was the was a release as a complete afterthought. I remember going to see that the weekend it came out. It would just it was just kind of dumped in the theaters without much. Huge bomb. Yeah. Yeah. No pun intended. It was never going to be like it was like not really. It would have had to have been some kind of crazy breakout for it to like it was it was they put it into theaters knowing like, yeah, well, this isn't going to this isn't going to work. But the contract says we got to release it. There was no like fancy rollout for it. <laughs> and no. It wasn't that well reviewed or anything. Um, so Slumdog was such like a felt like, oh, wow, this is such a big deal that this guy like is achieving like mainstream success. I remember going to a preview of it. Like there was some preview screening in my uh, near my wife's hometown that we went to a couple weeks before it came out and saw him talk about it. Um, and he seemed very he whenever I've seen him a couple of times, he's very seems very smart, very thoughtful guy. 
Um, but there was no sense of like, oh, this is an Oscar movie. This is going to be our big hit. I mean, it was, you know, it was sort of like, oh, this is a modest little underdog movie. And it's cool that this movie's coming out, you know, and like it's got good buzz. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, this movie's going to do $100 million in the, in America and win best. It wouldn't be an Oscar. Uh, so yeah. it's just like a weird little moment there for him. And the, yeah, you're right. Like that. that and he like launches into the 2010s with that huge success and then sort of goes back to making more. Danny Boyle scaled movie like yeah, in terms and of pretty much like back to back Oscar Oscar races 127 hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then if, he, yeah. he fucks it up with trance, I guess. I don't I like I mean I like that movie, but it's like, oh, do you like trance? Okay, I, it's a bizarre I decade trance, for him. It has yeah. no real through line. There's no, no like it's trance, it's um uh is 20 is 127 hours 20 2009 2010 2010, 2010 yeah. 2010 Steve Jobs um you T2 have trance yesterday t2 and yesterday yeah, yeah. that's it trance is a follow-up to 127 hours and that basically mm-hmm. kills every single piece of momentum he had after yeah. slumdog and that doesn't and then he's like okay steve jobs and that should be a surefire hit a sorkin script mm-hmm. yeah um a compelling main actor and it's like sort of was chosen Lee. by fincher to like take over i think but. absolutely and it's like and it's super well reviewed and it's like it gets like an oscar like two oscar nominations maybe yeah. three and it, I think, yeah, yeah i think it's like winslet well. fastbender and screenplay and yeah I, maybe like that. that's it and yeah. that's a pretty measly box office I mean, it's like I don't know if it's a flop, but it's not a success. No, it does. Um, it did not do the numbers they were they were hoping they were going into that hoping to do. To be fair, that was in the midst of the Sony thing, and that didn't help either. But wouldn't but... that help? Yeah. Uh, it's more notoriety. I don't know why that would hurt. It's not like I mean, yeah, that, I don't think people anyone... like heard that, and people are like, you know what? No Steve Jobs for me. <laughs> I take a pass Pascal. on that. One. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think and, and that was such a movie nerd thing too. Like, I don't think anyone going to who they were hoping they to make the money, kind of money they wanted to make. They probably were hoping that it was going to reach people who had no fucking clue, like what <laughs> what the Sony after, hack was. Is yesterday twenty seventeen? It's twenty nineteen. To what? True T two is twenty seventeen. This is twenty seventeen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and this is not. And this is a movie that I guess was him just trying to be like, let's go back to basics and see what happens, but. This movie had a ceiling on it in a yeah. way that it was never going mm. to be more than what it turned out to be because it's yeah. a sequel that no one was really asking for that no one even thought about. And it's a movie that that only really us love and the people in the 90s who watched it like it's an independent like hit. It is a huge fucking defining film for er, f- film for the um, the U- United Kingdom like film industry at the time. Mm. Um, it blossoms the careers of a lot of different people and it is and it influences a ton of fucking movies after that but like that's it there's no real lasting impact besides its touch on like one it's in the impact it had on the industry at that time and also it just being a good fucking movie and people growing up on it but there is no but the tiktok teens are not affected by <laughs> the idea of train spotting existing as a film no, they mm-hmm. should get into, they should get into it. They should get into the hobby part, the, the actual like train it. spotting, the actual uh, like choose TikTok, choose influence. Yeah. But my mom, but it's like lights. the teens <laughs> don't care, and my mom doesn't care about train spotting, and so uh-huh. it's like, who was this for besides us? And so, mm-hmm. what did you expect it to be? 
Yeah. There's who is this for? And I I suppose like in several interviews, it is it is very cool to see Danny Boyle and the cast being like, we have to do this and we have to do this right. Um, because if they were going to do this, they they didn't, I mean, to use their words, they didn't want it to be shit. And for for them to realize that. I don't think they said shit. I think they I said didn't want, you know, I've already butchered the, the Scottish enough, but uh, it's, it's more, it's, it's more this thing of like, yes, it did, it did have a ceiling um, that it was talked about and considered for only so long. I mean, porno, the sequel to train spotting the novel um, was considered to be adapted, but it, really I think John Hodge wanted to do, their own take on what it would look like for so many years after the events of the first one. And I think that was ultimately the smart idea as it didn't really like have them create any boundaries with what to adapt. Um, but it, to, for, to have the, the first one speak so much of like the, the nineties transgression, it's like, I'm not sure what this says about, 2010s culture or like um style but more i love what this says about sequels and the idea of your of the i mean because they're because jesse i mean correct me if i'm wrong but isn't it like at the time the review the reviews were like the the new addiction is nostalgia it's not heroin, but it's rather your glory days. Yeah, th- that was sort of what, what a lot of reviews were getting at. And those are some of the more positive ones, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the t- in the time, at the time, a lot of reviews were sort of like, oh, this is kind of an old man movie. And I think the mm-hmm. ones that came closer to picking up on what Boyle's doing in this movie were the ones who were like, oh, you know, that that's the drug this time, more so than heroin, because they do do heroin in the movie, but it's not... It's not Spud is the only one who's really on heroin per se, and Stick Boy is also doing cocaine the whole movie. Um, but it's not really about drugs this time necessarily. And the, the yeah, I think that's true. Like a lot of I think some of the more perceptive reviews focused in on the nostalgia aspect of the movie. Although I don't think it's just that. Like I don't think the movie's just about nostalgia. That certainly, it certainly. Um, plays into how the movie how the movie works and it really does work mm-hmm. for me and I, I know it didn't work for everyone who saw it back in 2017 certainly clay what's your history with Danny boyle well let me let me just finish one my point about what the fuck's up with danny right now <laughs> um because oh my gosh so 2019 oh. yesterday and that's like a flop and that's also like a crit it's like it was most critically panned film in a while i guess well i guess trance was not well received either um but and now he does a mini series about the sex pistols that i've never heard about yeah that has like eight thousand ratings on imdb i never knew it existed and it came out last year uh and he did a something called trust which is mm-hmm. i don't know it's uh, actually the same. It's, it's the same story as All the Money in the World, the Ridley Scott movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the Getty it's FX, I believe. of it. FX. Yeah. 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 Um, and Brendan Fraser's in it. I kind of liked it more than the Scott movie, but it's it's a mm-hmm. weird show. And, you know, weird. I have to, I have to, say, do I have to say yesterday actually did pretty well financially, but mm-hmm. it's it, in a way that like didn't seem to help <laughs> you know like it didn't I'm mean, part of it I'm sure it was the pandemic was the next year and and mm-hmm. that probably robbed some momentum 
but it doesn't feel like he was really all set to parlay yesterday being sort of his biggest mainstream hit in a while into much of anything more. It does kind of seem like he's at loose ends a little uh, by, you know, just by the fact that the thing that he follows it up is like this Sex Pistols miniseries that like I didn't hear much about, except that, that people didn't think it was really yeah. good. Um, and and also, I guess maybe it's worth noting that like he directed uh, the the. 2012 summer olympics opening ceremony that's right i remember um, he did the james bond the thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that and also oh and also who's gonna decade. do the bond like that right, was exactly yeah yeah that's also no yeah, that's a, it's important to know yeah. yeah yeah during this decade it's all about is danny gonna do bond is danny gonna do bond um now he's threatening to make 28 months later and like mm-hmm. it's in pre-production and and when I mean threatening, I'm being, you know, I'm kind of, I use that as a joke. I'm going to do it. That just film. watch me. But it, it, seems, make but it. it seems like it where it's just like, okay, Danny. I mean, I don't think anyone was asking for that, but I guess we'll watch it. But we will. Will the general audience? I don't fucking know. Well, horror movies um, just, I feel like generally do, do okay. So I feel like that would be a, you know, an easy. But Weeks didn't. Weeks was like a disappointment, especially in comparison to Days. Like it That's was just true. like, oh, this was just, and obviously he didn't direct that, but he produces it. Because he was and making I'm, Sunshine, I, I believe. Right. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like that film, that, but Weeks almost, and with Weeks, which has Car- Robert Carlyle in it. But yeah, Weeks does kind of just like, it's a wet fart. Um, mm. And now he's like i guess I'm, i'll work with garland again or he's thinking he says he wants to but no garland hasn't been like yeah i'm gonna work with him again like it's one of those things it's like seems like one of those guys like you know that fr- you know you've seen that friendship where there's one guy who's like really like much more invested in being friends with this dude than the other guy is with the other like the idea mm-hmm. of it's like a one one-sided relationship kind of thing like mm-hmm. oh yeah man me and me and jake we love each other so much we hang out all the time jake's like yeah he's like a cool friend <laughs> um and that seems like what it is right now with garland and yeah. um i yeah i mean like, I, th- I i do think if he did 28 weeks leader now it would probably do pretty well because it's like a long gap sequel which uh, you know it seems like that's i mean if it's made for five bucks sure but yeah I don't or know. you know like i don't know i, I feel what... like the number of horror movies uh, since even since 2007 when 28 weeks later came out like that do well is you know boogeyman the like rando fifth tier stephen king adaptation starring nobody <laughs> uh did like 40 million dollars in the current you know much more cautious box office environment so i feel like you could get you could probably get a someone to pay for a fairly cheap but not that cheap 20 well i think that would i think it would hinge on i think it would hinge on murphy coming back yeah yeah um oh yeah that's true i wonder that's that's i think that would be the issue i mean because why else would danny come back to do a whole new separate characters and why then why is it 28 months later um i i don't know but that's like the only thing he's even close to making right now and I don't in that and that's like still kind of I don't know it could happen but it's in pre-production mm-hmm. um so his to but my relation and this school connect my, my relationship with Boyle is he was one of the guys where I'm like okay I'm getting into film what movies I should watch train spotting that's a well-acclaimed independent film 28 days later it's one of the most re- well-respected modern horror films okay and, and then like and then Steve Jobs comes out and I'm like oh my god you know this is one of the best fucking movies i've ever seen i love this shit it's exactly my kind of like my kind of film 
Um, and you know, also like 127 hours. Oh, that's a good, that's a film that people talk about. That's good. And that has like very much of a well-renowned, like it's, it has, it, it makes an impact in pop culture. Everyone knows what happens in that fucking movie, even though they had not seen it. <laughs> that's true. Like they're like, that's the movie where family guy jokes about it. They'll like, that's the movie that there'll be a reference. Like, Oh yeah. I just saw my arm off like in 127 hours. Like it's yeah, that like, it's like, it a a, it's, it'll, yeah. It, it, yeah. And it's a bizarre movie to have be like a hit or be known in like, heavily known in pop culture or whatever but yeah he but train spotting i loved on 28 days later was like one of the films that i'm like oh my fucking god this rules this is so inventive and this is such a different you know a different like different approach to what i was expecting um and then steve Jobs. we also saw 28 days later together oh that's right i think i I showed it to you because i'm like because that was a movie early on that i was just like i fucking love this thing um, I can still remember like this at the end when the John Murphy score kicks in uh, dun, 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 dun. and like the whole and the entire like kind of climax of the film with Killian Murphy. And I have that etched into my brain mm-hmm. um, like Ralph Fiennes' character and things like that or not Ralph Fiennes. I'm Chris, um, um, Eccleston, Chris Eccleston. Uh, yeah. Chris, yeah, Chris Eccleston, Doctor yeah. Who himself. Um so yeah, boy, like like Jack Boyle has been a part of my life for ever since I really got into film, to be honest. Um, and it's kind of interesting. He's a he's a really like, easy like early guy. I feel he's an, exactly he's an easy. He's an accessible, um, but also like well made. What or like he has craft and yeah no I, he has a unique approach as well. Like train mm-hmm. like train spotting is like insanely like hot hyperactive editing and uh different kind of hallucinations and like it's linear but not at the same time mm-hmm. um it's like kind of bounces around like you know a heroin addict um yeah. i i think yeah he's definitely one of those guys that and yeah like 28 days later it's that point when you're getting into film especially at the beginning you're like so snobbish about horror films like Oh, I only want to watch like I don't want to watch Final Destination. I want to watch Twenty Eight Days Later, and <laughs> um, obviously my t- tune changed when I actually watched Twenty Eight or when I actually watched the Final Destination movies. Where I'm like, oh, actually, this fucking rules. Um, but no, I mean, like, it's the well-respected. He made he made one of the well-respected horror movies. So I it, I can I should watch it because I'm getting into film and I want to watch the well-respected things. Um. And that's not like that kind of reputation isn't because of him. That's just how film nerds kind of claim to that film. Um, but yeah, and like obviously in train spotting is it's not as it's not as impactful as Reservoir Dogs, but it operates in that same area of this is a 90s independent film that made that had a lot of impact and it like blew up and it really kind of changed how people made movies and mm-hmm. what move and what kind of movies they were making. Um. So yeah, yeah. Boyle has always been a part of my life, but it's funny. And he and I, but I haven't seen Slumdog. I haven't seen uh, um Ordinary Life and things like that. I Life saw or, or whatever. Um, I watched Sunshine for the first time not that long ago. A fantastic fucking movie. A movie a that fan, was made a great for movie. Me. Yeah, that was a, a sad space movie with Killian Murphy. Sign me yeah. up. That's all I want. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe his space. like his like his quiet masterpiece. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it has like one of the best casts you can think mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, oh, Chris Evans, good. And probably if that movie does well, a lot of careers are different. Absolutely. It's interesting. Absolutely. But yeah, it's yeah. Very yeah, like Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne is in it, right? I was mm-hmm. it's yeah. Rose Byrne, Murphy, Kravitz. yo, yeah. um Shelley Collins. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. Collins, um, um who's the fella um chris evans uh, no dr sleep <laughs> um oh oh uh, i'm i'm thinking of dr sleep too um not you mcgregor because that's the movie we're talking about right now um uh oh the character actor uh cliff right oh um, cliff curtis cliff curtis yeah. cliff curtis yeah, yeah. i cliff was gonna curtis. call him i thought it was i i was thinking of getting him confused with collins jr cliff and collins we, jr yeah, yeah, yeah right 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 we we know who character actors are yeah i promise <laughs> um, um but yeah no like a def- a lot of different careers change and fucking boyle it's interesting though because he almost bounces back immediately with slumdog that move that mm-hmm. sunshine should the, almost the very next year be, too yeah be the should probably kind of kill his career but he bounces off it immediately but then only has two more movies until he kills his career again <laughs> well, i'm sure i think he's also has the kind of cushion of being revered enough in britain that there's just a lot of stuff he can do. He can go off and do TV. Yeah. He can do theater. He does theater still. It's a little bit of like blank. It's a little bit of like, you know, uh, the, but it's not like you're, like, you're the guy who time. made, tra- you're the guy who made train spotting. Yeah. You know, well, he does, you that. know, I remember going to see the, um, they showed it in the movie theater, one of those fathom events, the like national theater in Britain, uh, production of Frankenstein, which he actually did with one of these guys, one of those. Is- um, mm-hmm. so, you know, he does like, that yeah. was a, pro- a big project of his and he's, I guess, doing some play this year. And I think he, you know, I think he stays busy. I think he's probably one of those sort of polymath guys who like, if he doesn't have a movie going up, uh, like there's other things, you know, he started out, I think in doing theater, right. Which is so mm-hmm. interesting yeah. because his, his style is so, cinematic and so kind of you would think he i would have thought just watching train spotting that he started out doing music videos you know absolutely uh, mm-hmm. and he's like older than that and was doing something much more you know much more uh kind of you would think he'd be a fincher kind of guy yeah exactly and he was actually a theater guy which is so interesting to me that that's uh that that's where he yeah because train spotting is like a music video it's yeah like it the is. Same, and it, t2 is also like a music video in the way yeah. it's made yeah very um, much so and he's one both, of the yeah. both of the movies they're not plotty um they're just they just sort of like you no, know like you, five things happen it's yeah. like it's one of the yeah right yeah and it's really like i i saw train spotting again for this and it was really the last 30 minutes that it's like um bigby moves in with renton and then the heist is pulled off and then Ren walks it with the money and then, yeah. like it's just oh right like everything's sort of sewn together yeah um and then with this like, i think it's just trying to like um it's it, it is a little bit of like you know there is a narrative but it's like trying to like make amends with everybody and uh trying to deal with everybody being very tired and grumpy <laughs> uh, <laughs> well yeah but, I, yeah and maybe that's but, being reductive but it is a little bit of like i it's a very harsh look about like how hard it is to for for being in your middle age i suppose um yeah yeah but, well yeah. It's, i think what's so interesting one of the things i find so interesting about it and i think that people really 
missed or maybe they thought it was diffuse for this reason is that the first movie is mostly Renton's point of view. Renton is the only one who narrates the movie. And there are some scenes that are, don't have him in it and are not his point of view, but like often he's the one narrating those scenes and telling you about them. Um, and again, there's a few, probably a few times where it breaks from that, but it's pretty much Renton's movie. It's his, you're, he's the window into the movie. And T2 is much more balanced between the four of them, um, between Renton, Begbie, Sick Boy, and Spud. They don't all take turns narrating. Renton's the only one who narrates, but he doesn't narrate very much. And there are a lot of scenes that are without Renton. I, you would even, it's almost like you would watch it and go, oh, but did they not have Ewan McGregor for that long or something? Did they only, mm-hmm. and I, I don't, maybe they didn't, but like the effect to me is that you're watching something that's a little more, almost like a little more empathetic to the other characters in the movie even though they've grown apart and don't have the necessarily the easy, you know, chumminess that they shared in the first movie or sort of the default chumminess that they've shared in the first movie. And they, even in the second movie, and I can imagine this might've rubbed some, even some fans of the first movie the wrong way. Cause I think some fans of the first movie didn't care for this one. Um, I know I, one of my friends who I saw it with was like, you know, was like, it was okay, I guess, but she really, she really loved the first one and was not impressed with this. And it kind of almost retcons some of the relationships, not retcons, but like it fills in like the thing are things you might assume would be flashbacks to the first movie that are not, that are showing little snippets of Renton and sick boy in their childhood uh, yeah. or in te- their teenage years. You see them like robbing them someplace together. You see them doing heroin for the first time. And you see also just little snippets. I think they even show Begbie with them as kids. Mm-hmm. Um and I can see how that would seem like, oh, you're kind of retconning and sentimentalizing these characters that in the first movie, I mean, part of why you sort of are okay with Renton taking the money at the end is like, he says something to the, you know, sick boy would have done it to me if he had thought of it sooner. And Begbie, you know, is a psycho. And he did say, he says, I, you know, and Spud, I did feel sorry about Spud. And then you see yeah. him leaving the yeah. Spud the money because he's kind of a helpless seeming guy. But, and uh, I mean, T two carries on that idea onto the next yeah. movie for having that sentimentality for Spud. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it almost feels more sentimental about everyone, even though they're pretty unsparing. It's not as if Sick mm-hmm. Boy is, you know, oh, he's a sweet guy. But I did feel like watching the second movie, and so something I feel like not a lot of stuff at the time seemed to care much about. Maybe they were just thinking, oh, this is sort of a general nostalgia thing. I really felt like I understand Renton and Sick Boy's friendship better after yeah. seeing the second movie than I do in the first. The first movie, they're sort of just mutually coexistent, you know, I've known this fucker forever, kind of. They have that mm-hmm. kind of relationship. But in the second one, the scene where they sort of reconnect and are sort of, you know, and I think they're on drugs or something. And I think they're on coke, but they're like, you know, talking about soccer and yammering on about their kind of their shared past and this shared history. And the girl, uh, sick boy's sort of girlfriend who they make not really his girlfriend to I guess to make it more okay that Renton and takes up with her um says something in her I don't know she's I don't know figure what where she's from but she says something in Russian or whatever it is that she speaks uh something to the effect of like uh, you guys you, okay, you know you guys you guys should really just fuck each other you know <laughs> uh, and mm-hmm. they don't under, they don't understand Ukrainian so they don't you know they just like laugh and keep going and that scene, that sequence, it's so I, that to me, I was like, oh man, that I understand. Like I, I have relationships, friendships like that, where that we wind each other up and like in this sort of like you, 
you just know each other for so long that that's you know you're the, that's the this other person's the only person who understands because of that it's like the you know or like the thing in justified you know we dug coal together like we you know that it doesn't matter that yeah. you hey know. jesse yeah guess what i've been rewatching lately justified <laughs> yeah. yes i just started it's in the second season because i i'm watching primeval and uh-huh. i'm i, I oh, you I'm know so i'm, and I'm caught it. up um and you're are you wait are you the one who's doing the recaps no 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 um no okay i'm 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 Um, like i've only watched the first couple i mean i like it a lot i just haven't gotten you know right right behind on tv i well i never watch any television but i'm i make i make an exception for Raylan gibbons um (laughs) but now i'm re-watching like the i'm now i'm re-watching i'm i've just finished the first season again um but sorry i you mentioned justified yeah i know no (laughs) i'm so happy watching that show again it's not as antagonistic as Raylan and um and uh Boyd, Boyd, but it is a similar thing where it's like, look, there's a certain there's a limited number of people who understand me in this way, and and Sick Boy and Renton have that thing where it's like they understand each other unusually well, and that makes you feel less lonely, even if you kind of not really in the same place and you don't really you know are not really connecting the same way and even when it would train spotting the first one shows very well even when they're connecting in sort of their youthful way it's not a great friendship it's not like healthy or that you know they don't really support each other per se (laughs) you know like they're kind of they help each other through their schemes and stuff but they're not like it's not like a really sweet friendship but in 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 the second Mm -hmm. one there is i did feel like they they get at this feeling of like and maybe this has to do with the way that you know McGregor reconnects with Danny Boyle after so many years, but, but maybe that's right. getting too much into it. But there's a feeling of like, okay, this this it's not even just about nostalgia, though the movie really hits on that really well. It's this the way that sometimes that's the only thing that feels like someone else can really understand you in in certain situations. And I think that's something really interesting that the movie does that I think at the time was sort of considered uh the movie just kind of was wanking around and you know catching up with these guys um whereas i thought you know maybe there's a little too much begbie in the in the second movie for my taste or you mm. know in terms of balancing it out but i thought like spud and sick are such and end up in this movie so much deeper characters than you really get from the first movie and it's rare that you watch a long gap sequel i think and it's not and you come away with a greater appreciation for like several of the kind of iconic characters that they're dealing with Irving published a book, Porno, which was like a 10 years later book. Um, and we tried to adapt that. Well, uh, John Hodge, um, the screenwriter of the original adaptation of the uh, first film and, and this one, this one eventually, um, he tried um, and he did a, a, a faithful, a fairly faithful adaptation. In film terms, it just didn't work. And um, we got together in Edinburgh about 18 months ago for a final goal because the 20th anniversary was, which felt like, Lighten, if we're not going to do it now, we'll never, we'll never do it. So we should have one last go at it. And we sat up in Edinburgh, and we didn't. There's no great moment, revelation moment, or tipping point. Um, and I don't think John felt there was one as well. But we talked, we read that original script, we read stuff from the books, we talked, and met some people, and got back into the vibe of the city. And and Irving was there, and um, John went away, and then he wrote something very, very personal. He didn't really write an adaptation of a book. There, there are sequences and elements that are drawn from both books, actually. But um, he wrote something much more personal, I think, about himself through the prism of these characters and really about ageing, I suppose. And it was extraordinary reading it. And um, I knew immediately that I should send it to the actors. And not only that, I knew they would do it as well. It was an amazing script to read 
um, and a very strange experience to be reading characters that we know and love so well and that were so important to us and it's still so vivid and alive. They're so well drawn, you know, those characters by Irvin Welsh and also by John Hodge, the screenwriter. And um, it was a very extraordinary reading, you know, every page. Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> Where did it all go wrong? Where did it all go wrong? Where did it all go wrong? The best you can say is that, that, that every single one of these characters were in exactly the place I would want them to be. Spud, you know, still struggling with drug addiction and sick boy still being a chancer. Begbie being in the nick. I mean, where else could these characters be? So it was, it was a relief to, to, to see that and to, to come across these characters 20 years down the line. It felt more like the, the film was about masculinity over time, really. That's what it felt. Um, and as they moved into a manhood. And using the word manhood, you then start to use the word father figure, and you realise that the film is littered with children, you know, that they have fathered, and they're often, well, they are all disappointed children. Um, and there are women there as well who are also, whose agency is very quiet in the film, but they are disappointed. And they, there's been work to, there's been proper and real and important work to do while these men have been off, standing still, or literally spending the time looping back, trying to loop back to their, the bravado with which they enjoyed their boyhood. We're all old enough to know now, you don't get through 20 years without picking up some wounds along the way. In 20 years, there's a lot to a person, and it's not a picnic. You know, there's, there's great stuff that we've, you know, that brings you joy, but there's, there's also things that you struggle with to, to overcome. And Spud's journey through this is always, certainly now more than ever in this story, to become a better man. He, he desperately wants to become the man that uh, his wife and child need him to be. And it's, it's, it's just out of his reach. Tragically, you know, he, he, he uh, aspires so much towards it, but he's struggling against greater forces. It's not getting it out of your body that's the problem, it's getting it out of your mind. You are an addict. I think I haven't heard that a hundred thousand times, Mark. You got 12 more steps for my comedy. So be addicted. Be addicted to something else. Like you're running until I feel sick? Yes, or something else. You've got to channel it, you've got to control it. What Danny wasn't trying to do brilliantly, was recreate the first movie or, like, find those people then. That's like trying to be your 22-year-old self again. It's not possible. Um, so I found by being on set with these actors, who I know and love, and being directed by Danny, who I know and love, and saying John Hodges' words, it all came back pretty, pretty soon. My first scene was our fight scene. The first scene I played in the movie was our reunion scene when I walk back into the pub and, mm. and uh, we see clap eyes on each other for the first time in 20 years. And that was a great way to start. I mean, for me, it was a great way to start. It couldn't have been any better. With Danny, you can sense his experience and knowledge. I mean, you, it just emanates from the man. But he's exactly the same in the way that he is uh, obsessed with the truth. He, he goes further than than anybody else I've ever met in the business in, in terms of investigating his uh, locations, investigating the world that he's trying to show, um, involving you, involving um, all members of the crew in that experience, and everybody feels like they're contributing to the filmmaking process. The man rarely sits down 
and uh, has uh, the the energy that you see in the film is really who he is. He has this extraordinary stamina and energy. <laughs> they spend the first film, as you do when you're in your, your teens or your 20s, time's irrelevance. You just don't give a hoot about it. You do not care about it. And then you get a bit older and you realise it's time doesn't care about you, is actually the way the equation works. So it was wonderful to be able to flex time throughout it and go in and out it, stop it, start it. You had this extraordinary ability, because we had the resource of the first film, where you could pick very occasionally, there's only about a minute of footage from the first film used in it, but you have that incredible thing where you're able to put side by side the material from earlier, your memory explicitly on screen there with its real version now. You can't imagine what it might feel like to see yourself in your early 20s cut in with yourself now, playing the same character, and um, where, 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 in such a clever and meant way, in a way that's um, uh, showing us these characters looking back on their life in a way that's making us do the same thing. And when it's actually your face, that's quite profound. Thankfully for you two, I've done some due diligence on you. And what I hear is you're a couple of losers. Two absolute losers. How does that sound, Simon? Yeah, that's probably right enough. Aye, probably right enough. Right answer. It's about giving the audience an opportunity and a chance to reflect, to, uh, to enjoy reminiscing about the past, to have this kind of walk through a nostalgic time in their life. Because the, the 90s, it was certainly when the first film came out, it's kind of special time, you know, we'd, we'd been through you know, a thousand years of conservative rule and we were suddenly in a, a Labour government, there was a kind of, you know, an explosion, a kind of, almost like a, a zeitgeist of, of culture in film and, and in art and in music. It was, it was a spectacular time and I think, hopefully, this gives uh, the people who lived through that the chance to, to revisit that moment. There's a great... Uh weight associated with this project because it's, it was, Trade Spotting was more than a film. It's it, something that people identified with in a way that they felt invested personally. They felt that it spoke for who they were, what they were, and they felt recognised by uh, just the, the birth of this, of the original film. Um, and so it was always like, it felt like you're carrying uh, some a precious, uh, a precious, delicate thing that uh, it, you have to you have to hold it very carefully. I tried to approach it with the kind of innocence that we had in the first film, in a way, and that's easier because it was the actors were back again, and that relationship quickly re-established itself. God knows why, but we get on very, very well, the four of us, and the four of them and me, and. Um, We've been able to work quickly and dynamically and excitingly, and they, they, they're very, very different, each of them, and yet none of it's become a problem, and that's over two films now, you know, that, that equation, that chemistry, that alchemy. For a decade that's so full of these legacy sequels and soft reboots, franchises that continue endlessly. Uh -huh. Yeah. Sequels that are unnecessary, forgotten yes. about and disposable yeah. this one just i just handles it also gracefully um from like you mentioned the flashbacks uh from when i think it's Renton and franco when they're kids and um yeah. just the chords of bored slippy yeah oh they're boy. so it gives you chills like yeah. it gives you because it it just brings you back 
to a time when, um, you know, like you say, it's like <clears throat> their friendship in the first one isn't all that, it's not all that sugary, but it's more like that, that they're, you can sense that that's, they're all they have. Yeah. And that codependence keeps them all together, even when like uh, Renton continually is trying to like get off the drugs, get back yeah. on the drugs. Like they're still there for each other. Um, yeah. And I love the uh, bit in well, thinking of the soundtrack, the second one, I was listening, I listened to both soundtracks over the weekend mm-hmm. to, to pregame yeah. for this. Um, so I listened to the yeah. train spotting soundtrack. Yeah. I listened to so much as a, as a teenager. And the second one I, I dutifully bought, I was like, you got to buy the second one, the second <laughs> film. Uh, Cause there is a train spot in volume two that I don't have. I think it was too much. It was too expensive to, for me to buy the city. Um, mm-hmm. But I did buy the T2 soundtrack and it's not as good, but the movie itself does some really interesting stuff with with soundtrack wh- uh, where, you know, early on Renton puts on his Lust for Life record for a second and it's almost too much for him to. And it's a weird metatextual thing, right? Because like that song is playing, you know, non-diegetically over their antics at the beginning of the first movie. It's not like he's listening to Lust for Life as he's running from the cops or wherever he's running from at the beginning mm-hmm. of trans. Yeah, but it takes him back. It's like, it's that nostalgia thing. It's like, it's, it's a it, instant memory transport. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, in the movie gets that, that thing that happens for you, you know, so it's kind of, it kind of brings the audience into it very immediately. kind of saying like, mm-hmm. we're not going to differentiate between what was Renton listening to at that moment and what you were listening to at that moment, even though like he wasn't really literally listening to anything. And the way he can't even kind of bring himself to listen to that uh, song for that mm. moment is I just really love. And it's I think I, this is probably this is puts I think I love this movie so much that I would even say something like the the fact that the second soundtrack kind of like has some parts that suck. I'm like, well, that's very realistic, <laughs> like boils yeah, clearly it... into some like suckier bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, when he made this second movie, there's one. There's like, there, what's the name? It's like Father or something. Uh, Young Fathers. There's like Young two fathers, or three tracks yeah, from these yeah. guys. They're fine. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a band I love called Wolf. I do like Only God Knows. That that was pretty. Oh, I mean, I like I uh, like the soundtrack okay. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just um, funny to me that like it, it's like oh, you can even see Boyle Giddy, you know, because his movies, a lot of his movies have great soundtracks, and there's this yeah. like you can even see the like, the old man getting into some new music that's like cool and some music new music that's like kind of lame. Like, <laughs> that, like there's really there's nice. that there's a really great song in the trailer by the time the trailer would have played in this episode by the time we're talking about this, but. Um, he even said in an interview, um, an interview that was conducted by a friend of the show, Ricky Camilleri. And uh, he was like, yeah, my daughter recommended I use the song in the movie. Oh, is that the, it's like the, he doesn't the wolf, even need that's to... the Wolf Alice song? Right? That's yeah, Silk, yeah, yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. I think so. I love that yeah. song so much. Silk, yeah, that's right. Yeah. How old is this? Um, where... Is she a filmmaker now? I, I don't know. He, I'm not sure. But um, oh, what's he going to say? Um it, it the idea that the soundtrack is is like a little lackluster i really like too because it's, it goes to that idea where the gift of this movie is how true it is to these characters and it's as if like these characters picked out the songs of the soundtrack yeah <laughs> yeah because something that D, that boyle was talking about was like how much they struggled with naming the movie and uh-huh. they settled on a pretty 
like questionable title of T2 train. Maybe the worst title you could possibly come up with. <laughs> because they thought that's what the characters would name the movie, where it's like, yeah. I suppose so, but then it <sighs> leads to like. But it's still a movie that you have to market. Yeah, you have to like realistically. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I know. Um, Just call it train spotting too. It's fine. No. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it is it's such a good though it is a kind of an image you know there this is a very 2010s thing i feel probably <laughs> before that that you're like bending yourself out of shape to try to not just call it whatever too right so it's a little like, bit of like a subversion on top and, of but you also aren't you're also afraid <laughs> to not have the original title in there so you have to like awkwardly <laughs> stick it in there you know so I was, right this is yeah. like this is the decade of eliminating numbers like yes you know yes. like no more um you know, no more for like, it's not Captain America too. It's Captain America Winter Soldier. Like yeah. that kind of shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, I'm at the point though, where it's just like T2, you understand what that references, Danny. You understand <laughs> that references fucking Terminator 2. There, you can't, there can't be another T2. I'm sorry. There can't. You're fucking <laughs> quite- crazy. If he's using the logic that like Spud and Sigma are like, (laughs) if like I think about in the first one with the James Bond conversation and how like they're so going to be hardcore about the pop culture that they that they digest and how it's like they seem like Terminator nerds. Like I don't, (laughs) I don't know, but like they could be like James Cameron's going to respect the. no i don't know i think it's stupid i think they're stupid um i think they made a dumb decision about titling a pretty good movie um i i was really i don't know this movie didn't surprise me but it was still good it was just one of those things where i'm like well yes this would be what a modern train spotting would be this is how this is where you would go from there this is a sequel to it like there was nothing it all made pretty good sense when it came to like character relationships and like you know arcs and you know how their lives turned out and where they are now and how they process conflict and things where it's just like this all makes a lot of sense and what it also has its mind on uh when it comes to this like this idea of nostalgia i mean like when she talks when um the book uh veronica um the lovely uh, bulgarian young woman she was like you know you're obsessed with the past that's the only thing you kind of cling on to that's this entire country is that you just keep thinking about the past and what could have and what should have and what is um rather than focus anything on the present because you just dismiss it as it's just worse or it's just different rather than trying to actually engage the present is um it's like these are really interesting ideas that that i was not totally expecting this real like dissection of nostalgia and how how does a modern train spotting take place in 2017 what is that because it's not heroin anymore that's not like our modern epidemic i mean it is and it isn't but it's like like i don't well i guess in in edinburgh i don't know in in, in scotland and they're in scotland right yes yeah yes yeah um they're in edinburgh right and logan would be upset at you if you got that wrong i know i know i know i just i sometimes want to say it's london um well because they do go to london in the first one in the first one yeah yeah yeah. right half credit i think 
it's this is what it is. It's about how do you like what happens when your dreams kind of fail and you're kind of washed up? How do you operate in 2017 as this former heroin addict who has no real skills besides like scheming and how and, and focus on the relationships as well? Um, base, it's like this culture shock movie. I mean, that is, is insanely apparent in Franco's storyline. It's this idea of that everything around him has changed, that his son is not, has been basically, I, he wants to be a hotel manager because they have school, they have a program for that now. And he yeah. does okay enough in school or whatever to go into that program. Instead of just this kind of, what Franco thinks as this destiny and this this like fate of well no you're my kid so obviously you're going to be into some hooligan, hooligan shit <laughs> yeah you're going to be into some like fucked up crime shit yeah you're not going to be a what you don't want to be a hotel manager that's not how any of this works it's not how this has worked in the previous 20 years of my life in the previous 50 60 years of my life yeah so it's I, I, these i was that i was uh I, I guess i wasn't surprised by the path the film was taking in exploring those concepts i was surprised with how com- how completely committed they were to it and how that was the sole focus of the film in a lot of ways uh but besides the character work and like the like focusing on relationships and things like that yeah i was surprised by it by i mean i don't know what i was I'm trying to remember what i was expecting back because i was i was my brain was probably mm-hmm. addled because my my child was like one and change we probably had to get it we had to get a babysitter to see this movie and like <laughs> it was a whole production There's steps now yeah yeah, yeah they were there yeah it probably cost me 150 bucks to see this movie <laughs> just to like you know hire the sitter and everything uh, I knew maybe my actually I think like my, my mom might have been in town and she watched great graciously watched our child while we went to go indulge our you know our youthful obsession. But I'm trying to remember what I was expecting besides yeah I'm, I'm glad that Boyle's daughter, as you say, Jack, um, got him to put the song in the movie because I remember seeing that trailer and loving it and loving that song in it, and I was so pleased that they actually made it into the movie. And then like kind of a pivotal moment towards the very end of the movie, it's like the second to last song yeah. before that remix of Lust Lust for Life. I was trying to remember what I was expecting or hoping for out of this movie. And I probably was uh, expecting something a little flashier. There's like plenty watching it again. I was like, oh, there's plenty. There's so much visual flash. And the Anthony and Dobb mantle cinematography is very mm-hmm. like put the camera in weird places and find, you know, he boils one of the guys who I feel like really understood what you can do with digital video in an interesting way before yeah. it was even, he was doing that with 28 days later before it was even mm-hmm. really ready to, to be done with. Um, so I really and like the beach his, has a really interesting look too. Yeah, he, all of his movies have such an interesting look. Yeah. And Darius Kanji. Yeah, yeah. He's worked with he's one of those guys who doesn't stick with the same DP all mm-hmm. the way. Mantle shot a few of his things, uh, but yeah. not all of them. I think Mantle uh, also shot under 27 hours. Yeah, he shot some dogs. He did a run of movies with him. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he they seem really compatible, although he has shot lots of stuff with other people. Mm-hmm. Um and I was trying to, so I think I probably was hope, walking into this hope, kind of looking for that kind of sensation, even though, of course, I wouldn't have been happy with something that just kind of retreaded train spotting territory. I was kind of looking for that, you know, that rush you feel. Like I remember, you know, even even watching the first train spotting, I think I was mostly out for like, you know, as you are as your teenager, out for like the crazy thrill you're going to get, like the, you know, what cool stuff are they going to do with the camera and what like kick ass, you know, songs are they going to use and stuff like that. So I was probably looking for that in T2. So I was, even though I was, I, this is such a 
dopey oversight on my part because I was myself old when I saw this, you know, it was 20 years <laughs> after the first movie, but I was really not prepared for how moving I found it. And I, mm. even though you know, like, like they, I they did manage a really neat trick where like Redden's still kind of a fuck up sick boy is an asshole. Rebegby is a psycho and Spud is like a sweet guy who you're maybe a little, can get a little frustrated with, but I, and it's not that I found, you know, necessarily, their individual stories that movie but kind of taken together the very by the end of the movie i was like really kind of moved by where this movie goes even though it kind of ultimately doesn't go that far in terms of telling you what happened you know it's left fairly open-ended for all of them except begby who is best <laughs> it's dropped dropped off back at prison uh mm-hmm. but the other three it's really relatively open-ended and you don't know necessarily if Redden's going to stay in Edinburgh. You know, the, there's him embracing his dad at the end. And that his dad isn't even a character really in the first movie. Um, but there is, I did find something really bracing and, and moving about it. The way it was so eager to confront like the aging process, which I know a lot of these legacy type sequels at least make some motion towards doing. But this one, there's really because it's not you're not waiting. This to one's really about that. It's yeah, not just exactly. It's not like a great yeah, note in a yeah. superhero movie. Right. Or... Like it's also taking the entire the entirety of what aging means into consideration when looking at these characters. Yeah. Exercise how their personality and their um, tendencies have aged with them um their diet their um vices what uh what things they get mad at uh what things they feel uncomfortable with what things they are surprised with how much they change how much they don't change like they fully it's the whole diaspora of how these characters age and what and what has changed what has not changed as they've aged and how does their character dictate those certain qualities and it's all it all seems really well in depth and has so much details and like actual color into instead of just being them complaining about the youth and like yeah. and, or like coughing a little or walk or you know coughing a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah like that's looking, that's looking not older, because yeah. that's they can there's so much like quick little mechanisms of like oh they're old now look at that mm-hmm. um it's it look takes, at Franco. Like, he can't how, run like he used to, or something. Abso- yeah. Absolutely, and he can't get boners. Um, yeah, and, and all these things, but it fully, but it, it, but it doesn't stop there. It goes fully in depth into their age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think it's yeah. so interesting when it came out, and not to like shadow box a bunch of half remembered reviews, but I, you know, I, I do think that one of the reasons this movie's reputation. I like. Is, I like the way you phrase that shadow box <laughs> half remembered reviews. That's. But I remember, cool. We're gonna if we get merch, we'll have to quote you on a yeah. shirt or something. Yeah. Uh, choose shadow boxing half remembered reviews. Um, yeah, but like, <laughs> I I remember I just you know because I love the movie so much, I, you know, I'm holding grudges about like people who I didn't feel like got it. But I remember Vulture, who obviously is a wonderful website and I really enjoy get when I occasionally get to write for them. Now they wrote a piece. Um, they wrote a specific writer wrote a piece about his, about Ewan McGregor's or Renton's rather choose life reprise in that mm-hmm. movie, um, which happens when he's out to dinner with the uh, gal whose date sort of dating sick boy. Mm-hmm. And, 
their point, uh, the writer was Hunter Harris, who I know people yeah. adore. Um, she's, you know, a little cult of personality maybe for me, but like people seem to really like her. She's very funny and she's very talented. And her piece was all about how out of touch that was that and like how how this was essentially, uh, you know, old man yelling about the youth and how it, like it was such a cool thing in the original and the, the new movie sort of misunderstands it. And I just like completely that I was I thought that was so bizarre. Uh, it's like such a bizarre read of that that monologue which is like sort of an update of of the choose life monologue that opens the first movie mm. only it's i don't know I, I was curious about you guys read on that because i was to me that that monologue the way that scene is staged first of all the fact that it's not this thing that he does at the beginning of the movie in this like flashy you know lust for life scored like yeah. great montage he's doing it like out to dinner with a girl he's trying to impress and she's sort of and like, it's sort of like he has the sort of like the table setting for it where she's like what's that like oh yeah this is oh, from the 80s and then yeah it's just and like, he's so and clearly I, there's I, a preparation for it when like, i recognize yeah. so recognize this and maybe hunter was too young to <laughs> recognize this feeling i was like he's delighted to have her ask yeah yes what, right, what is it you, right. you, you know I, you, don't you don't people all kind of secretly love when someone is like, hey, I noticed you and your friend who are lifelong friends, who I also know, say this thing. What does that mean? Tell us about some tell me about something that you were clever about when you were young. You know, I, I love when my kid asks me about mm -hmm. stupid stuff I did when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, you love I mean, some people legitimately hate talking about themselves, but I think most people <laughs> in some level do enjoy them telling them telling people about themselves so veronica asks him this and he it's he's kind of not so secretly delighted to go into a new version of he's probably been writing this new choose life monologue for five years more or more and when has had no one to spring it on because like no one gives a shit and he sounds kind of unhinged when he's doing it uh and i think the the interpretation in, in the vulture piece was about like how this was you know is so dorky now and like the movie is like using it to settle scores with the young people and to me i was like he's obviously being self-indulgent and i think she even i think the piece even says something like oh and at the end of this veronica decides to sleep with him because he's like the movie thinks he's so cool and to me i don't know maybe them reading subtleties that aren't there but to me veronica does sleep with him or has slept with him in the next scene but to me she almost sleeps with him or sort of like indulges him in order to have him shut up. Like it's, he's kind of making a seed in the restaurant, like mm. doing his choose life shtick. And she's sort of like, if to the extent that she likes it, it's not because she thinks he's clever. It's because she's sort of like, Oh, okay. I see. <laughs> like, well, and, I see, and then I, I guess see what a fundamentally broken person you are. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I'm then I guess it's bad for you. <laughs> to me, it's like contextualized by the uh, cameo from uh uh, Hilly McDonald's. Yes, yes. And why, when Diane is is hinting to Rent, like, you should know better. Yeah. Is she the lawyer? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love what she, she says, what is sick boy's plea? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <right>. Like, <laughs> like it was on um, an official court document that she yeah, said that. Yeah. Well, she, yeah, um, because, yeah. It's Kelly perfect. McDonald is a, is a small revelation in the first one as well. She's, um, she's feel, yeah, so terrific. in that, like, holds around and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I find the whole choose life thing really interesting. And who wrote the vulture piece? 
Hunter, uh, Harris. Hunt, Hunter Harris. She's very successful. I don't mean to like slag on someone. I just mean like no, I'm not no, gonna no. Be, I mean I'm not I, gonna I, I'm not I, gonna be coy and say oh someone wrote a piece. <laughs> right. No, I I I like a lot of her stuff. Uh, I haven't read that specific piece. Um, she's a very funny culture writer and has some has some very interesting takes. I my thing is I don't see how the movie is proving that he's right. Like he'll say things that are like yeah no that makes sense I agree with that but there's no point in the film where it's where it portrays him as this like philosopher like this some this like renowned philosopher who's not wrong and who has great judgment and thinks and has you know great opinions and all these things like they don't this movie doesn't love him they don't think he's a great they the movie doesn't think he's a great guy or it has this like this plethora of hidden talent right you know that that he that is untapped i agree that it is just him ranting and I don't think the movie thinks he's cool for that. It just just puts out the frustrations that he as a character feels. Yeah. And that seems right. And that kind of that that just that does um, work with his character. And that makes like actual sense via the writing. Um, I and with the sleeping, I think there's a lot of things going there. One, she is preparing to betray them. Um, I think she's been doing that for a while. I'm not saying that's why she slept with him, but it's probably it's not not a reason. And two, it is, yeah, it's almost kind of a pity fuck. It's like, oh, yeah. you seem very passionate and sad. Yeah. <laughs> and you're nice. And you you're, care you're about You're nicer me. than Sick Boy, which is an extremely low bar that he cares. Right, you're nice, <laughs> you care about me. And, you know, it's also Ewan McGregor. Um, like, literally people in the film are like, wow, you look really great. And he's like, yeah, people tell me that. Um, and it's because he does. I, I... I don't know. I, I I do like the, mo- I mean, the monologue can be a little, you know, it's like one of those things where it is self-indulgent, but in a way that it's trying to be because he is also a pompous ass. Yeah. I mean, the film thinks he's full of shit. Be- like again, that and when she is speaking Bulgarian and basically ripping him to shreds about his weird obsession with the past and how Simon has told him that you're a tourist of your own memories yeah. And how this isn't actually real to, for you. This is just you sucking up all of the the different memories and vibes and uh, stories that you don't no longer live with anymore because you have a fucked up heart and can't and worried you're gonna have a heart attack every other second, or you know you're not the young man that you once were. Now you have faced mortality and you're also a failure in a lot of your own way in all in your own way. Yeah, and so I I don't I I don't think this film has ever positioned him as the guy who's like he's speaking the truth right now. He knows yeah. exactly what he's saying. Yeah. Now I agree with a lot of the things he said that choose life stuff. Do I? But I all but I also think that he's full of shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because at the end of the day, he's another fucked up member of society. Yeah. And really, even the first choose life monologue, though it sounds much cooler is similarly snotty you know he's still slagging off other people for you know kind of like having a tv or, or whatever the or you know not being as cool as him who's on heroin you know like it's right. it's a youthful it's like a kind of a shitty thing to say as a you know even though it was on dorm posters it was not necessarily like ultimately that cool of a philosophy <laughs> and right. the second movie is very upfront in a way about saying about showing how poorly it's aged and in a way that's pretty brave i mean i think you see so many 
legacy sequels and again it's it's different when it's some kind of you know comic book thing or action adventure thing but like so many of them mm-hmm. the goal is to revive some image or moment or conflict that you loved in the old movie and bring it you know have it happen again you know put on the costume again you know a rematch or whatever mm-hmm. and this one does bring give you some of those images and moments that you love and know from the first film and it doesn't completely deflate them and say you were stupid for liking them but it does say okay so how does that feel how does what is that like 20 years later like what is mm-hmm. what how does that play how does that you know how does that sit with you and yeah. there are some moments that are really gleeful. Like I, I think of the echo and I, I, I could even see the criticism that Boyle indulges too much, the kind of parallels or repetitions or whatever. But the scene where Renton is being chased by Begbie and in a very different context from the first film, but a very similar shot, he, a car, he leans on a car and like just after kind of right. yeah and just like kind of cackles to himself out of like disbelief delighted disbelief that he's like made it through this and, and he's doing it again and yeah he, and it's yeah. this big circle of oh yeah. i found myself exactly where i was yeah and the movie allows you the pleasure of that for sure i think it, like it, i laughed when that happened but it also isn't indulging you too much with the desire to you know be a teenager again or be a 20 something year old again or whatever your whatever mindset you're in watching the movie i was a little curious about you guys since you guys were watching this as as younger people did it like in the mind by definition much more closer proximity to the original does it i don't know i don't know how, how exactly how to phrase this does it like <laughs> jack and i were talking before we started recording about um uh, being you know movies you watch in college when you're about to leave college or or that are kind of about that time of life or about that time of uncertainty and how those can you know something you might have thought was amusing at 15 or 16 can become really like you know resonant and chilling at 22 even um did it like you know how did that hit you guys not being old people still being so blessedly <laughs> young and maybe not full of hope but like you're not i don't know you haven't experience the like you know firsthand the kind of feeling of like oh jesus i was that was 20 years ago that i was a teenager Mm, like i was very curious how that plays does that play weird to someone who's still in the blush of youth (laughs) Um, certainly like i i can i can have a uh a a more the the timing in which i saw both movies is is very beneficial since you know, I was maybe a, I'm about too young, but um, I more like got the textual look of Train Spotting when I first saw it, mm-hmm. and then as as I am um, as I'm 23 now, it's like I get so much more of the first Train Spotting right now as I'm their age, and also just have so much more of a context of of what the movie's going for. And I and I really like that I that I coincidentally saw um, the train spot T two train spotting too um, this year twice <laughs> as um, as I did in, in 2017 as one I think it's it's like ahead of its time uh, a little bit and also it's like I I just uh, yeah I think I just have like a better grasp of like what it's going for and it's not like the gang is going for another adventure. We're going to see the hijinks <laughs> once again. Um, 
and I, I really, I really like what it's saying about like, um, you know, how eventually they get to a place when it's like you're with friends that you can kind of pick up again, that banter and that chemistry that you was, that you've always had. But of course they're not at that place immediately. Um, no. And that's where it's like, they kind of have to work to get to like um, embracing emotionally. Um, but I, yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's um, because we, I, I suppose that it goes to like the choose life monologue again, when the entire aesthetic of train spotting, I think I, I, I think of some, of some friends that either do and don't love movies that cherish this movie as much as myself and Clay do um, that, you know, of course, like the choose life monologue is self-critical and I think it is knowing of itself to be a little like a little bullshit than Renton would like to believe. Um, But it is like mixed in with that package of like the look of this movie, like, uh, the poster and the the camera work and the soundtrack, um, the costumes, and I, and for that I think the first one really uh, lives on. But um, for me, it, it just means a lot to be closer to the first one's ages uh-huh. and really enjoy what Boyle was trying to go for with T uh, two, um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that answers. No, yeah. I, I guess. My thing is this movie is completely upfront that these guys are fucking losers. They suck. They've mm-hmm. failed at everything. They mm-hmm. have not been able to actually create a life for themselves because of their uh, selfishness, their uh, obsessive, uh, obsessive compulsion in themselves and in controlling everything and their, you know, complete un, uh, you know, uh, unjustified ambitions of where they should be in life. Um, and just the complete lack of, uh, think thinking of one outside of themselves and also self-awareness. Um, I mean, like the only, you know, Spud is the only one who's like, kind of knows knows who he is and is trying actively trying to change that you know renton thinks he's done so and in a way he has but he's still the same selfish prick he was in the first one and the same person who's still like trying like you know desperately trying to figure it out without actually thinking about oh maybe i should do the hard work instead of just doing the only thing I can think of. Maybe I should go outside of my comfort zone rather than just like, yeah, I guess I'll just try to fucking run this brothel with you. <laughs> like this idea of like, I can't think of anything better. No, you can. You just don't want to. Yeah. Because you still want to be a child and you yeah. still want to live these like you know, outlaw life of, you know, crime and no responsibility. And that's why you don't have children. And that's why you, your marriage failed. Yeah. Um, but the thing how I I took this now is I think and them just like looking how in 20 years they were they are not even close to where they wanted to be. Like they completely they're living complete regret and they think they literally fucked up their lives. 
and they you know like this huge just waste of time they lost so much time and actually didn't do and didn't get and they didn't achieve any of the goals they had for themselves when you're young you know when i first watched that for train spotting i'm like yeah well that won't be me i that won't happen to me i'll achieve my goals blah 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 <laughs> blah blah and I'm not saying that's what the first transponding is about, but that's your mindset when you watch other things, other right. films that have that theme. When I am now, it's like, no, I do see the path to that. I do see that in front of me. I do see how that can happen to me and the possibility of me not achieving my goals and to yeah. succumbing to my compulsion and my weaknesses and my tendencies and succumbing to just not like to being uh to not moving forward and not progressing. I see that path available. I understand how it could happen. So that's how like this, that how I like how this, this film, like how the film discusses age and what your life turns out to be rather than what you thought it was going to be. That's, that was my reaction as I've grown older and like how I, this is how, that's how I reacted when I watched it yesterday. It was that idea of, I actually no, I, I, I can see how that can happen to me rather than it just being this unimaginable, like, no, I'll do great. It's like, I know how that, that, that I know that's possible. I know that's the road <laughs> I could go down and, but it's my job, to, but you know, it's my goal to, uh, uh, to keep that from happening, but it's not unheard of. It's not a fantasy. It's not me just pushing off to the side. It's relatable now. You're in the, uh, I don't want to give anything away, but the film opens with something that I feel like a middle-aged man can really relate to the opening scene. I, as a, I'm close to that age, but I can really relate to that considering how much time I spend on a treadmill just trying to remain somewhat active. Did you relate to that scene? Was that like a, a blow to you immediately when you read that? No, no, that's, that's, uh, that's certainly something that's lifted from porno, is that, he's, that Renton's gone off to um, Amsterdam and in the, in the novel, in fact, he, run, he manages, or I don't think he owns, but he manages a gym and um, he's replaced his drug addiction with an addiction to fitness and I like the idea that he was very fit and that the, the what happens to him on the treadmill doesn't reflect the fact that he's unfit it's just the, maybe the damage that he did when he was younger or just the genetics or unlucky or whatever but it was something that causes him to come home and because um, we learn that his mother's passed away and he didn't even come home for her funeral and so it took something like a life-changing event in hit in hit because he's somewhat of a selfish character in himself to make him realize that he has to figure out what's going on with his life you know and come back to try and reinstate himself in these friendships now people love train spotting i love train spotting obviously when you shoot a movie like that you know you're shooting for 30 40 days and then you move on to your next projects it lives on iconically for people who love it but does that character live on for you is it painful to return to that character in your middle age and to be talking about middle age at the same time or is it just kind of like another why does he keep saying middle age <laughs> yeah middle age why does the man keep saying those words Isn't it... <laughs> did i misinterpret what the movie was about it felt like a movie about a midlife crisis <laughs> no i loved it <laughs> uh, early middle age <laughs> early early middle it age it wasn't painful it was daunting I, I arrived um, a, week, a week or 10 days after they'd started filming because our it was quite difficult to get us all in the same place at the same time. And I was doing post-production on a film in LA and I, I had to finish that on a certain date. 
So they'd started uh, without me, which felt awful. Danny would text me from, t t uh, from set now and again, and it was like, really annoying not to be there. And um, Great so thing happened today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, the guys are so great. And uh, I met Ewan in the lunch queue, and um, I was so nervous. You know, it was weird coming back and getting in a car and going to the train spotting set. And um, I don't know what I was expecting, but I got there, and there were some trailers and, you know, technicians and just like uh, every other film set you're, you visit. But then um, I met Ewan, and I said, I'm really nervous. I'm scared about what if I can't... What if it doesn't happen? What if I'm not renting anymore? And, um, Performance anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ewan said, no, don't worry. You know, everyone felt a bit nervous, but you see when you get on there, it'll be fine. And, it, and it, it sort of was like that. The first scene I shot was with Johnny in a pub, which is literally when Mark and Simon meet each other for the first time in 20 years. And it was a very apt starting point for me. It was great. Maybe we uh, do some Ewan McGregor talk. Um, Jesse, do you have any thoughts on, uh, uh, yeah, just since we hadn't covered anything from him before, um, not the most consistent decade, I I would say, but when well, he has certain general. highlights like that, yes, yes, that, that also that, um, but uh, certainly has highlights like this, Dr. Sleep and Beginners for me, um, but one of my favorite actors always has been uh, and I think for a lot of other people, but it's like, just when he's great, he's really fantastic. And yeah. it makes you appreciate him more when he is. Yeah, this is a kind of an interesting, I mean, I think he's very good in this, but I almost, this is maybe a case of me liking the um, movie even more than I like his performance, though I like his performance quite a bit. Um just because he it's not as much of a showcase for him as I would have guessed, considering how much more famous he got in the 20 years between movies. Um, he's one of my mm -hmm. favorite actors as well. I really, really love him. Um, he's, you know, uh, using the metric that I always used as a child, <laughs> he uh, was always who is in the most movies that I love. So when I was a kid, I was like, Rick Moranis is my favorite actor because he's in the mm -hmm. most, so he's the highest number. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson was mine. <laughs> yeah, that would make that's because he's in probably. I mean, he's in fucking Pulp Fiction and uh, Phantom Menace. Like, uh, can you beat that? Jurassic Park. Jesus. Um, Christopher <laughs> Lloyd and Rick Moranis were mine for that by that magic because they just had yeah. so many bangers in their filmography, as the kids say, uh, or probably as the kids used to say. I don't think they say it anymore. Um, no, you talking about Riz. I think yeah, about yeah. <laughs> Lloyd has Riz. Yeah, that's right. Oh I had God. to ask. We had to look that up after I saw the Ninja Turtles movie to what that was like. What is that now? Um, oh, how is it? I really want to see it. That's good. It's fun. It's really yeah. funny. I liked it a lot. Um, my, I feel like my kid was absolutely delighted by it, which I was, which was fun to see. Um, and I was too. And I was never a Ninja Turtles kid. I didn't give a shit about the Ninja Turtles. Then I still found it really fun. Um, Ewan McGregor, by that metric, is maybe my favorite actor because he's in the Star Wars prequels, which I famously love. He's in Moulin Rouge, which is one of my probably ten favorite movies. Um, he's in The Lifeless Ordinary, which I like more than any other human being <laughs> on the planet, including the people who made it. Uh, he's in Trainspotting and Trainspotting 2, both of which I really love. He's in Down With Love. He's in Big Fish. So, yeah. He's so good in Big Fish. Yeah, he's, he's so good in Big Fish. fucking amazing in Big Fish. He's like, great. Just it, on that alone. It breaks. <laughs> it, it also breaks the... Oh, he's in Birds <laughs> of Prey. I love him in Birds of Prey. It break, Big Fish breaks the rule that he's always better 
with the with the Scottish accent than with an American accent because yeah. you, <laughs> yes. you that's really the where his most of his performances that I don't like as much fall down is the mm-hmm. is the um the, the the American accents it's like it's not his forte um yeah so this is a this is kind of a weird because this is like a decade where he's in a lot of stuff um mm-hmm. and he's there's not like I'm trying to think like what's the signature you know Ewan McGregor performance from the 2010s and it I don't want to say it's this because it's Argo season three oh Jesus I was gonna you know it is it is funny because like I, I was you know the same year he's gonna be in Fargo meeting his now wife yeah, um, yeah, very exciting. that's a whole can of worms. I, that's <laughs> I, you know, he's but, good, but um, <laughs> no, I think you're right that I think reprising Renton is like the default, uh, uh, defining role. Um, yeah. but but no one also... saw it besides us. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, but, just... I mean, his whole his whole yeah. filmography for this decade, mm-hmm. without a Star Wars. I mean, I guess Christopher go... Robin. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that. Well, uh, I maybe even like a Danny Torrance, but no one saw that either. Yeah, maybe? I think he's no. he is he is really good in that. And I don't even care for that movie that much, but yeah. he's very good in it. Um, the Ghost Writer, I think he's very good. Yep, in that. the, the Ghost Writer, uh, I feel like hasn't had the best reputation. Obviously, um, yeah, it, at the time it really did, but yeah. I think it is. I got, Yeah, they kind of got yeah. tossed out. Uh, it kind of got yeah. you know yeah. uh, got. What I do hear someone it, interesting make that movie or. <laughs> Uh, I do no I do he's such an interesting good, guy it is it's yeah, a yeah, it's yeah. it's a good picture I get why people yeah. are not yeah. chomping at champion at the bit to revisit it but it is a, it's a good picture it's a good role for him it's not like mm-hmm. the showiest role um, no interesting yeah uh and you know, I really very... I I do I do hold beginners very dear to my heart that's a great movie I, I haven't seen that since it came out I remember liking yeah. him in it but yeah. I think that's an American I think I watched it for the first time for this podcast and I loved it does he have an American accent in it? That's going to be a deal breaker for me. <laughs> well, I guess it would be Doctor Sleep. Yeah, it, that's and that's interesting because that movie kind of works. That kind of dovetails with T two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a weird. It's such a weirder thing because it's a legacy sequel to a novel and a book. A novel it's and also a great movie in Haywire. That, yeah, yeah, he's Haywire, great. Right. He's great in Haywire, and like that's a good American accent one because he's uh he's like it's okay for him to be a prick in that. Um, he was in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, and he's getting the he beast this year. Also, yeah, right. yeah. Um, he's yeah, in uh, he's in Mordecai, which I actually kind of find. if you guys circle back around to do an episode about Mordecai, I'll do that because it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that movie's funny. Um, but he's like sort of the he's not doing that much in it. Uh, and salmon fish in the yumming, I remember being kind of charming. Yeah. It's like him and Emily Blunt, I think. Yeah, who could you know who would not be charmed by this? Um, but it is, it's kind of a little bit of a, it's a kind of a diffuse decade. And I guess looking at his current decade, there's not that much going on either, but mm-hmm. it's, it's still, it's still young. Yeah, um, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Well, yeah, he, that's true. That's that he got, I forgot that he was, he got to do the, he got to revive Obi-Wan, but that's another, you know, kind of legacy thing. Um, I do think he's delightful in 2020's Bird of Prey, Birds of Prey as the bad guy. Oh, he's great. Roman Sionis, Black Mask. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. it's truly the most bizarre casting choice. That movie is like just bizarre casting choices when it comes to like the source material. Yeah. Like, you know, Cassandra Kane is like this silent, you know, orphan who's like a secret, like basically a secret assassin. And it turns yeah. out she's just like a, you know, young, rough, tough, you know, grifter, yeah, like pickpocket. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Roman Sionis is 
for like usually depicted as an Italian, like, you know, standard Italian gangster who, you know, f- who is intimidating because he wears a black mask, but yeah. it's this flamboyant uh, e- Ewan McGregor performance who is yeah. quite scary in the film at times, but also is this like pure cheese. Yeah. Um, he's always going, yeah. yeah. And um, he's like the most yeah. un-Italian person to ever. <laughs> he's the, as a, as a pretty Italian guy, I can, uh, I can, confirm he is extremely not italian um one of our least italian actors it's true it's like clearly that you couldn't be more or less italian this is yeah. not possible yeah. <laughs> so I, I looking at his filmography and realizing how many movies he's done that i don't care that much for oh god like august osage county which is a fucking amazing play and the movie just is a great example of how some things don't make sense as movies um and he's in that and i can't even remember who he plays in it uh, like when he kind of it's funny when he kind of plays to what you think would be sort of a strength of his the sort of a little bit of a when he brings a kind of a softness in it and I find this is especially true maybe this is just the voice thing when he does an American part when he's kind of playing a more softer character there are some you know, big fish he's soft-spoken and lovely and there's some other ones where he's soft-spoken and very and very either very sweet or very you know nuanced I think I Love You Philip Morris is a really underrated movie that he's mm-hmm. very good in um, but generally, there is kind of a softness to him that I don't think plays that. I think he's better when he has a little more of a, when it's a little harder edged, a little, and I don't mean like harder edged, like he has got to play a hard man or whatever. He's got to, you know, I just mean when he's allowed to be a little spikier, a little less likable, because he is innate. Mm-hmm. I do find him innately likable, and he can be so charming in something like Down with Love or Moulin Rouge. But mm-hmm. I think T2 does a really nice job of, you know, kind of taking it for granted that of course we, we're going to like him because he's you know we know the character and we like the actor and letting him therefore be a little prickly a little like a little bit of a fuck up um mm-hmm. and i think that's you know more so even than reprising the character is why that stands out for this decade is because he does a lot of stuff where he's sort of you know supposed to be a little more you know bashful or sweet or soft or mm-hmm. you know and, it, and and that doesn't always play i don't think that's his strength necessarily as a as an actor especially when he's you know playing uh playing an american and i think that also is what yeah. dr sleep is interesting what's interesting about dr sleep is that he is pretty likable but there's a little bit of a like unsettling haunted quality yeah the haunted quality yes very much so that's good reserve he's very reserved in that film too there's no that there's no that there's no scene where Mm -hmm. he's like it's like there's no oscar clip so to speak right right i think that i think in general he's a relatively reserved actor you think of obi-wan that's not a you know he does have a you know in revenge of the sith he does have a little bit of like you know you were the you were supposed to be the chosen one uh but that's supposed to be the chosen one there's not there's not many moments like you are my brother yeah yeah and it's Um, powerful because the first two movies he's really keeping a lid on it and it's Mm -hmm. in the series he's keeping a lid on it too um Mm -hmm. And Django Fett. Yeah. <laughs> hello. Yeah. Hello there. Uh, you know, that kind of the stuff that hello people there. love because of those memes. It's it's because he's doing something a little more clipped and reserved. And I think that is why I get so hung up on his voice and why I need to hear the accent or some kind of accent more because he is such a reserved actor and isn't so not, you know, demonstrative. I mean, he's a physical performer, but he's not like wildly gesticulating that I kind of need the character and shading of his voice to be there or else I feel like he, he starts to become, you know, sort of indistinct and sort of harder to, uh, to, to nail down. But the sharpness of that Scottish accent, boy, that, you know, 
I oh, now they come to the dock side, Dooku. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, it, 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 he, yeah. He pronounces Dooku in a very weird way in the second yeah. to clones. Dooku. It's well, he, he's Ooh. doing like you know, he's doing uh, kind of doing the imitation of Al Guinness, but it's also you know, it's very much his own deal, and I love yeah. that quality of that performance that it's kind of both at once, and it yeah. is has so much of it has to do with his voice. I mean, I think Moulin Rouge, the reason one of the reasons I love it so much is his singing voice. I just love listening to him sing. Uh, you know, I just there's almost so many. And some of it maybe it's just being uh, me being an American and down and with love. Fast. Yeah, 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 and yeah, that's yeah. that's a one where the when he does do when he plays the astronaut you know character within the character that's an American accent, but it's mm-hmm. funnier. Um, but I, maybe- I do I do wonder like because this career is so interesting and like the highlights are so so great. Yeah. Um. Like and but I you just can't help but wonder if like um if it's him in the beach and it's not Leo, <laughs> right? Cause it's so, like, that's, that's a big um, talking point of, yeah, of the yeah. Bonchecks. Um, and uh, it, it, yeah, it is, it is rather interesting. Um, Cause the, for those that, you know, are listening to them and don't know, it's like the idea that uh, Leo DiCaprio is coming off of Titanic and um, and he's then cast in the beach when it was, discussed or supposed to be you know mcgregor um mcgregor thought that it was going to be like john hodge writing danny boyle directing him acting in the movies and it was going to be like that group for a lot of their careers when in fact like um because i think for for you know before the beach it was just like you know train spotting shallow grave life less ordinary that's all he knew and yeah and um, it seemed as though from from whenever we talk about it, um, they just didn't know how to rekindle that that partnership. And then, yeah, you know, if that's that's just another reading that I carried into T2 where it's like. The, it's them getting back. The to what them. if? Well, yeah, it's interesting because it's also one of those things where and I don't know how well this applies to a T2 reading, but I could see him playing that part in the beach, certainly. And I could see him playing Killian Murphy's part in, in 28 Days Later, not just because he shows his dick, though that doesn't hurt. Uh, but like I, after that, you kind of, I mean, I guess he could play Killian Murphy's part in Sunshine too, maybe. But you kind of start to wonder is it, would that be have been good to have him play all those parts? I, I love him as an actor and I love his movies. I don't think oil. he could do Sunshine. No, he has I to be meeker. He has yeah, to be a meek yeah. little boy. Yeah, he's not as he doesn't have the kind of weirdness that 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 Killian Murphy has. Once well, I think as it goes on, you keep drifting further away from. Well, yeah, he could do the beach. He could probably do Twenty Eight Days Later, and then as you kind of go on, yeah, he could be the dad in Millions for that matter. Probably could he do Steve? Like, could he be Steve Jobs? <laughs> could he be Steve Jobs? Probably not. Probably not. I think that's beyond his. Uh, I think that's. The, um, I'll put here. a thousand songs in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Uh, did anyone watch Halston, the television oh, show? No, I forgot that he was on that. He won an Emmy for that. He did not win an Emmy for Fargo. He was nominated. Oh, he won, he won an Emmy in 2021 for Halston, a show that does oh. not exist. It's it it's a fucking Ryan Murphy thing. Did he produce? Did Did Murphy produce it? I don't think he that made sounds it. like a Ryan Murphy thing. I will it check the sound. producer list. Yeah, he pro- um, he pro- he produced it, but did not write or direct it. The Mandela um, McGregor also strong. produced it. Wow. Okay, yeah, that's what the that's the problem with this TV shit is like, yeah. you, you know, like I completely lose track of. But this. for someone who has a very long and somewhat respectable career, it's like he has four real actual award nominations. 
and one and one of the and those four Emmy Emmy nominations. Two of them are for like ridiculous. So like he got a primetime Emmy nomination for being a narrator for a nature documentary, uh-huh. and for guest and for a guest actor role in ER. Oh yeah, I that was a early episode of ER where he's like a, a robber and he's like it's a really intense episode. I think I watched that for him at the time because that's how entertain spotting I was. And the only real award he's won is for a show that no one watched. Yes. Or and, I don't, and no and, one really likes. And I don't think he was ever, I don't think he's ever been nominated for an Oscar, right? I don't no, think he's, he's never been nominated for an Oscar, never for a Globe, nothing. That's crazy. It's he's, crazy. It's, and yet he's, it's not like you, like you guys said, he's not like, he doesn't do a lot of awards scenes in his movies, you know. He's, but he yeah. is a notable actor. And yeah. it's like, and he has done like everyone knows who he see. is, but yeah. like you would think he would get a globe by now. Like you, Moulin Rouge, Christopher Robin, these are total <laughs> eight Golden yeah. Globe movies. He was nominated for like, Moulin Rouge and for Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, of all things. Um, and then he did win a TV Golden Globe for Fargo, but like if there's anything worse than winning a Golden Globe, oh, winning a TV maybe that's one. I didn't even know TV Golden Globes exist. I didn't even yeah, know exactly. that was, oh, I that's mean, right, yeah. So he has some trophies or whatever, but he's never been Oscar nominated. Mm-hmm. And I can see why he's like, I mean, like in Moulin Rouge, actually, I think at the in the other podcast I did, we were talking about Life Less Ordinary. Uh, my friend Hannah said that, you know, in regards to Life Less Ordinary, she was like, he's the, you know, she's like, I don't want to be stereotypical gender wise, but he's the girl in Life Less Ordinary. Like uh, he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's like... He's the sort of he is the meeker, less assertive. Like he's in the kind of classic romantic comedy structure. He's the girl, and Cameron Diaz is the boy. Yeah. And in Moulin Rouge, he's so sweet and sensitive. And Nicole Kidman was the one who's nominated because she, you know, has the kind of more tragic arc, and she dies, and she, you know, it's like the one who really yearns for to be set free. So of course she was, and she's great in that movie. I would, I wish she had won the Oscar for it. Um, but I can see why McGregor who's kind of lighter and funnier and sweeter wasn't nominated for his part in the, even though the movie is a hundred percent a duet between the two of them and like, doesn't really work without McGregor's part really coming off well, but I can see why he doesn't really have that. You know, he's not an awards magnet because he is too, I think he's too, he, he goes relatively small and subtle, even though he does have movie star charisma and a I little think bit that, of like Colin Farrell in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And he but he's not as, yeah. you know, I don't he's not as aggressive as Colin Farrell. Right. Um and they play they play brothers actually in Cassandra's Dream. Uh Woody it's true. Allen yeah. movie. Uh, Woody Allen movie, yeah. Yeah. Uh which is he's good in, but it's like again, it's kind of a weird, it's like a strange film. And he I think Trainspotting, both Trainspotting movies really take advantage of his more movie star quality, which is weird because they're movies about like low life drug addicts. <laughs> um, but like he he's got real movie star quality in those in those movies in just in the way that your eyes are drawn to him and he holds mm-hmm. the screen in a way and he does in other movies too he's certainly in Moulin Rouge and in Down with Love and Big Fish um, but in the Trainspotting movies he's really allowed to be kind of charismatic I think maybe because it has to kind of excuse a lot of his bad behavior or sort of you know whether or not he seems like a redeemable character or whatever um so it's really kind of a perfect it's in retro one of those things where like in retrospect watching i think part of watching t2 i was struck less by his specific performance in that movie though it's very good and more by wow this is like a perfect part for him in retrospect and at the time probably just seemed like oh yeah he's great in that because he's the promising Mm -hmm. young actor not because he's like his this is and we kind of take him for granted in t2 yeah when in fact like 
in train spotting, you're like, in three years, you're going to be Obi-Wan and you're going <laughs> to like crush. Yeah. Like yeah. you're going to be the highlight of all three of those. And, yeah. Even the people who um, hate those movies yeah. say he's good. Exactly. At yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> better. He's a better Obi-Wan than Alec Guinness. I like I I like his version more than that. I mean, there's more. You get to spend more time with. To him, be so fair, I know I was gonna, I was just about to say like you can. But, you know, but uh, I think that so, he yeah, yeah it's part of it. He just gives a better performance. Yeah, he, he, yeah. yeah they're think, asked to do different things. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I, but I do think I, you can tell Guinness, especially in the later ones, he doesn't care. Like, yeah, he's like, all right, let's get this done. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a sleepy, uh, you know, turn. And in the in the Obi Wan series, though, I had some issues with it. I didn't, his performance, I thought, was wonderful and like and and completely. Yeah, his performance carries it completely yeah, locked not, in. It, it's the a lot. The writing is really not there unless it's like unless it's with Anakin and himself. But yeah, like well, when it comes yeah. to the actual plot of the show, it's really well. I think <laughs> what you can tell, and what was not talked about much when it came out, is that you, the telltale is that this one, someone who's the credited or writer on a bunch of the episodes, is credited as co-writer on those episodes because they one hundred percent had a movie script that they just broke into a TV series and added. Oh, absolutely! Oh no, it was going to be a movie. Yeah, I remember when they, like, and I didn't, I just didn't realize when they turned into a TV show that they just were like, well, we're just going to do the same story and just add a bunch of dumb stuff in the middle of it. That's why, you know, like the, like the first two and last two of that, that series, I was like, this is really good. And then there's like this middle of the show that completely sucks. And like, it's because they were just like, oh, we need six episodes. So I guess we got to add a bunch, <laughs> got to add some stuff in the middle. Anyway, uh mm. But McGregor is not the problem with it. He's he's really yeah. you know he brings a lot he's to a, it. What, he's like the basically the only good part. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think like I don't know. I, I I that show has a lot of issues. Um, I but yeah, he's splendid, and I I don't know what his career is honestly. I don't know what's next. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what if it's good. I I, I don't know if Obi Wan has helped or hurt him. I have no idea. I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Did you see I, it. I, what do you mean? Yeah, I watched the show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. Oh, you want to show you? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not my proudest achievement, but I watched it. Um, <laughs> uh, but I don't know, man. I I wish I wish that would have worked out better. I feel like if it was a movie, it would have been better. I feel like oh yeah, for sure. If it if there was an actual director involved, and yeah. like. <laughs> If they had just like know. spent the same amount of money to make a, a movie instead of a show, I think it would have been mm-hmm. vastly better. But yeah, and if they just had the like the thing look like something good. Well, yeah, that's what I think. Like if they had spend be able to spend the money to like say, okay, well, this doesn't need to be six hours long. It can just be two and a half hours long, and like and the things invest in lighting. You. Yeah, invest yeah. in sets. Yeah, and that it's definitely the one that suffers the most from that Star Wars volume thing, uh, yeah. which is so funny. People like hate the prequels for for being all CG, and then they invented basically the same thing to do for for the TV shows. And for at least for a little while, people were like, "This yeah. is a fucking amazing." And I was like, "Yeah, it's doing the same thing as the prequels." But... I mean, it looks um, great in the Batman. That's yeah. the yeah. that's oh, like where you're the volume. Like, volume... That? Yes, yeah. extensively because it's you because know, the first episode yeah. of The Mandalorian is also shot by Greg Frazier. Oh, well, I think so. That... Frazier has developed yeah. like pretty intimate knowledge of the volume, but he also, but they actually, but then Reeves actually uses real sets too. You can't yeah. just do like it has to be a hybrid or it doesn't. Well, I think I think that the same way that the prequels, I love the way the prequels look, but like there are plenty of movies that are ninety percent CG set dressing that are bad. 
And, you know, it, same thing with the volume. It's really interesting technology you can use really well. But like if you just sort of slather it on there, it's not going to it's not going to be anything better than anything, any other kind of special effects. Um, but yeah, Tra- transpot, transpotting three will be all in the volume. It'll just be. <laughs> yeah. Transpotting three is going to be like shot for and exclusively on uh virtual reality headsets yeah this is it <laughs> yeah. I, they're not gonna make a third one like, no this is i don't, I don't, I don't think, uh, yeah i don't think they will i think it's this yeah. one wasn't successful enough i don't think yeah, that, yeah that's well, even that i mean they could they, but like i bet it didn't cost a crazy amount uh, no, I mean, no. and i bet, I bet it did okay in britain <laughs> yeah i bet the distribution was the most expensive thing about the whole thing like i i i i feel like yeah i bet it wasn't even mm-hmm. crazy but yeah i think the, they, I think um, they've gotten all they wanted to get out of T2. Yeah. For like ideas wise. And, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what I, if they get I, bored again? <laughs> I do wonder, you know, I, I would love to see what I would really love to see to follow up T2 is just like Boyle doing another movie with Ewan McGregor that's just yeah. unrelated. You know, yeah. like I feel yeah. like that that tied certain things up for them, but it would be nice to see them do something else together. Even not even as I never really thought, though, of course, it's sad to hear that they were estranged for so long. I never really had the thought while I was watching his Boyle's 2000s and 2010s movies. Oh, I wish Ewan was doing this instead. You know, I mm-hmm. like I kind of like the way those movies turned out and think it's fine. I haven't seen Trance, but I I feel like McAvoy is a big McGregor character. In that yeah, one. he's I feel like that. Except for that he's younger, it could have been. It definitely could have been Ewan in 2002, you know. I yeah, feel like certainly. that's a total McGregor role. Um, yeah. yeah. I I think we should, I have one more yeah, question. Yeah, let's get to favorite We should get to favorite scene. Yeah, let's but get to favorite scene. Who's your yeah. favorite performance of the film? <sighs> who's I your, have one. Is your favorite performance your same, the same as your favorite character? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I never favorite care. I never really have favorite characters in shows. I like. Yeah. I don't know. Or I guess these four are so iconic that I guess. Yeah. I but my favorite performance is Robert Carlyle. I think he's magnificent in this film. Like yeah. I think the things he has to because he's a complete buffoon and like caricature and he has to be at that level like eighty percent of the film. But that twenty percent when he actually has that there's that subtlety and nuance and like vulnerability there. I mean, he plays it masterfully, and he's also the really moment that he apologizes uh, to his wife and son is really profound. Uh, and yeah. it, you and, notice like, his like moments. posture yeah. there; it's a brilliant piece of acting. He is so yeah. uncomfortable, and it's just the way he make, doesn't make eye contact, the way his shoulders are so tense. Um, it's just like it; those moments are really what sells the, sells his performance. Um, and he's he's also just a incredibly great uh, uh, gifted physical actor um and is just a beautiful man with the when it comes to cussing and saying the word cunt i mean there's no <laughs> one who does it better yeah well i mean look at look at the the great moment when spud is is writing down you know sort of their their events together and and recollecting all these all these memories and you know like that he's rehearsing the the, the bar and scene that trans- which... that transitions to my favorite scene of the film which is Dang. spud and um spud and franco uh, franco i always forget this. yeah franco go like first franco is so hostile about you know the stories and then the moment spud starts talking about them he is to completely transport it and it, it's such a fun scene it's also you know, it's 
when you have a hyper aggressive character like Franco, someone who also is just belligerent and insults people, like and like basic and you know verbally assaults them, it's always nice and calm in moments when he's like, "You actually have a really hidden talent. You're actually really good at this." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's also like when they're when it's the only time you really get to see him be like he was in the first one, like friends, like actual buddies. Yeah. Um. And he just and he's completely enraptured by his own memory and completely captures it in his mind when it, especially as he's like, you know, when he does the, you know, talk like he tosses the <laughs> when he's miming all of the actions he did yeah. in that day and that night at the bar and how he's he's he walks with so much swagger and confidence when he's reacting reenacting that those memories it's really just a it's w- incredibly well edited and it's just a pleasure to watch yeah absolutely it's great yeah it's really great what is all this shit anyway it's just like say, stories and that stories what are you writing stories for he's going to read shit written by a cunt like you just thought maybe my grandchildren not you were grandchildren you're writing fucking stories for them for. They may not even like stories, you thought of that. No, um, that's a good point, Franco. The sweat was lashing off his sick boy. S- sick boy? What's that about him? Oh, it's about all of us, like. Oh, yes, but me? No, no, but you. Fucking no. better, nobody. Strolling through the meadows. You gotta do that. What? Read that. Strolling through the meadows. The pubs, like say, dead busy. It's full of local, locals and festival type, because the festival's going on, see, on the story. They're all having a wee snort before heading off to the next show. A big... Big... I was definitely going to cut this bit out, Frank. Don't fucking read that. Hey, big beast. Pushed his jeans. <laughs> I remember that night. Read on. What? Read, read on. Read on. The boy likes just wouldn't he hand over the wallet. Even when Begby pulled the chib like say, the last words I heard the dude say was, you won't use that. Begby went fucking crazy. Got like see that carried away with the blade work, Ken. We nearly forgot the wallet likes. Blood was flowing into the latrine, mixing with a push. Blood. Mixing with a push. Was your ugly seed, man. Murphy. You've got hidden talents, man. Then it happens. All I did was put a pint of export in front of Begby. He takes one fucking gulp out of it. Then he throws the empty glass for his last pint straight over the balcony in a casual backhand motion. The glass crashes down on this girl's head, which splits open as she falls to her knees. Begby's on his feet and racing down the stairs, and he shouts, That lassie got glass, and no cunt leaves here till I find out what cunt did it. lassie got glass, and no cunt leaves here till I find out what cunt did it. That's lovely.
We went for a piss in the old Leaf Central Station. Me, Renton, and Begby. Place was empty. Soon to be demolished. An old drunkard whom Begby had been looking at lurched up to his wine bottle in his hand. Are you up to, lads, eh? Transbond! And Leaf Central! You see, he's laughing. <laughs> I notice Begby seems strangely subdued and uncomfortable. It was only then I realized the old wino was Begby's father. I think my, per my favorite performance is Ewan Bremner. Um, just yeah, in, in moments like those, and his character introduction in this one, um, and that monologue about like I was late to the work and I was late yeah. to the, <laughs> the 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 wife and the like it was like just like yeah. trying to like do the very best you can. I was on Skag like, for yeah, I was on Skag. Of course, I wouldn't know. Like yeah, yeah. there's <laughs> like, a great like it's, yeah. Because that because Spud is so great, where it's like he's trying to do his best, but even then, that's not enough. And there's like the a certain out. amount of melancholy with that. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, also, and, great parallel to that scene in the first one with him t t intentionally tanking the job interview. Where he's oh, not, I was just you know. about to mention the job interview. Yes, that's a phenomenal scene. And um, and another part about um, Bob Carlyle's performance is like you know the the first one you get um, the after the drug deal they go to the pub and he's trying to start a brawl with with another one of the uh the bar guests and that's when um uh oh what's the the song that um that starts uh, born, born slippy born yeah, slippy it starts to like chip in of course you know as as the as that bar fight starts to unravel um i don't know it's and then it's you know it's like you get the those intense those intense moments with uh, Carlisle's performance that even Born Slippy can can trigger that that memory. Yeah, and I think for I, me, for my favorite scene, I oh, there's so many damn good ones. There's so many damn good ones, but I'll say no more Catholics. Yeah. It, <laughs> oh my god, it's yeah. it, it's one of those it's moments so where funny. you see, you know, you see Sick Boy and Renton just like sort of like have this cacophony of like amazement. Hate yeah. Hate, and hate speech. Right. Right. Of just like everyone that's sort of like working towards a common goal. And like yeah. the movie presses pause for a minute, just to like have this moment with, with the two of them and like seeing like um everyone around them and like, yeah, it's just, it was re it's really amazing. It's something like out of a, a Terrence Davies movie <laughs> with all these people. As I walk round and round the just ring a bell on the big The Battle of the Boyne was fought on the 11th of July, 1690, between two rival claimants of the British and Irish thrones, James II, Catholic, and William of Orange, Protestant. The battle was decisive. The Protestants won. But 400 years later, the uncompromising and victorious loyalists now feel estranged from the modern, secular United Kingdom. Let me tell you that I love you And I think about you all the time The 
sectarian songs have been banned, but they still gather and remain loyal to the victory of 1690 and to a simpler, less tolerant time. It's the greatest sight that I have ever seen But if nothing else, history has shown us very clearly these are people whom it is unwise to provoke. He's only from around here, are you, lads? You're not going to give us a song. You can play the piano. I can't play the fucking piano. You know those two chords the fucking F and G much used to play at school? Do that. Good evening. My mate and I would like to sing a song that we wrote. The year of 1690 On the 11th of July Or the first in Julian calendar Wait, wait, wait Give me something with a wee bit of rhythm <laughs> Here we go On the field of battle, of hope we were bereft But by the time that it was over There were no more Catholics left
it's funny. I, I my actual favorite performance is probably is also Ewan Bremner. I love uh, this is a great year for him. He was also in Wonder Woman, and I was so delighted to see him in that. In this, he's one. great in that movie. He is. He's he's wonderful. And I was I hadn't seen him in a while um, when this came out, so I was so happy to see him a couple times. And then he followed up with First Cow. Really, he's in. He's had like a cool. Yeah, uh, a cool career, and he's also been in a f- more movies than I remembered with Ewan McGregor. I think they've actually been in like five movies together, which is hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. His little buddy always with him, uh, so he's he's great in this. But I'll, for the sake of variety, I'll shout out uh, Johnny Lee Miller because I feel like he was sort of the guy in the first one who seemed like he maybe he should be the the hot new thing coming off of that movie. He's sort of the most traditionally handsome and like you know the the lovable rogue sick boy. Um, knew a lot of guys in high school who wanted the sick boy bleach blonde hair, and <laughs> oh god, <he's>, yeah, <laughs> and 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 got it. God damn it! Um, and, <laughs> they did uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> they followed up. I had a train. I mean, like we, my group of you know, I had like a train spotting T shirt and everything. So um, white men need to be stopped. They yeah. need to be stopped. <laughs> we were we were bad news. Uh, the soundtracks and the uh, I remember I, my friend went to England and I was like, oh, there's a special edition of Train Spotting there, like on video. Can you get that for me? And he did. Wonderful friend of mine. But it was I don't know if you guys know about VHS versus PAL, uh, but the tapes in England don't work the same as they do in oh, America. Really? So he oh brought me back an unplayable That's... special edition VHS. Well, it's like the Spotting. region for Blu-ray. Uh-huh. Like exactly. It's the region. Right, thing. right. That's yeah, very yeah. true. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And it was supposed to have like deleted scenes or something. Maybe it was in widescreen, like the proper aspect ratio, which was then hard to get them. Anyway, um, big, I should... This is also a sidebar, but Wolf Alice, the band who has the song Silk in T2, uh, selling. I went to go see them in concert, and they sell they sell a shirt that has the members of the band posed like the classic dorm room horizontal train spotting poster with the yeah. numbers on number one, number two, and they have you know instead of the character, it's like the it's the Wolf Alice train spotting shirt. I should have worn that tonight because I have it, but I did <laughs> not wear it. Um, but yeah, Johnny Lee Miller is kind of the most outwardly goes from being the kind of the handsome young guy in the first one to being kind of he has like this permanent sneer and he still has the hair and he's like pretty unpleasant guy in this one um but there's a he's very good in it and is very it's a very vanity free performance because he's like the if simultaneous with this he's like the lead on a network show where he's like perfectly charming and, and enjoy sherlock uh, elementary i guess it's called um <laughs> And he really lets himself look like a, the almost the most gone to seed of these guys. Like th- there's a shot where they let he lets them have he's doing in the hair. You know, you see him dying, painstakingly bleaching his thin, extremely thinning hairline. And I was just like, man, that's like a that's a that's a real vanity free bit of acting that he's like, I'm going to let you guys watch me sort of glowering as I try to fix my hair to make it look like it did when I was 23. So I, I, I applaud him for that. And then for favorite scene kind into Johnny Lee Miller, that scene between him and you and McGrath and, and Renton staying up all night and enjoying each other's company for the first time, really that we've ever seen, but it's the first time in a long time for them. And the first time we've seen it all on screen in terms of really lo- loving each other and like real friends. I think that's a wonderful sequence and mm-hmm. kind of gets, it has some of the vibe of the drug trips of the first movie, but we, and there is, there are drugs and, and alcohol involved, but it's with a very different aim. And even though it, I don't, you know, I don't think the movie's only about nostalgia is the drug this time. Uh, that does get right. I can see why people said that about the movie, because that really gets right to the center of that feeling that now that kind of 
woozy, you know, crazy camera angles, blown out colors, you know, fast talking craziness is not because of a substance, though, they, again, they are involved, but it's because of this, you know, sort of remembering the person you used to be. Uh, so I find that scene really powerful. And it's also just like a fun, well-acted scene from the from McGregor and, and Johnny Lee Miller. But there's tons mm-hmm. of great scenes. I love both of the scenes you guys mentioned too. Oh, it's a, yeah. It's a terrific yeah. movie. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. I, I'm I'm really stoked that you brought this to us because I feel like this just I'm I'm trying to remember what was said again on the Blink Jack episode, but it was like the people who have seen this really stomp for it, and the people who haven't seen it still don't believe it's good. But it's like you know, it's like because they're you know, it's, yeah. it's like oh, like a train spotting sequel. Like that doesn't make any sense. It has one of the great endings, you know, yeah, of any yeah. movie and. um and, and yeah, it just has so much on its mind and uh, certainly like, and like I said, like I appreciate it more because it uh, it has such an identity through the sea of legacy sequels that we encounter yeah. throughout the decade. Definitely. Uh, Jesse, yeah, thank you so much for joining us Thank you again. for having me and letting me talk oh, about yeah, this Dan- Danny Boyle. So great. Gonna, yeah. Not going to uh, stop I'm, until I've yeah. talked about all the movies of his on different podcasts. Just gonna, yeah, <laughs> that's um, a fun we, goal. We, yeah, that's a really great goal. Um, we're going to be very much looking forward to seeing you. Uh, what's next? Trance on, you know. Uh, <laughs> the trance cast. I guess you, the I guess you do have that yeah, one. Yeah. I don't know yeah. who else would have it. I think yeah, you yeah. have that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and we'll we'll meet you again next time for How Do You Know? Uh, when you yeah. come back for, for this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, um, but yeah, if you want to talk about where everybody can find you online and like yeah, what you're working sure. on right now. You, you can follow stuff. me on Oh God, I guess on Twitter. Must we? Uh, I am on Twitter, <laughs> regrettably. At, Must at, we? That's yeah. a perfect way to say that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Rock Marooned. Um, you can find my writing at 
tastemagazine.com where I'm an associate editor and also which means I get to edit some very good writers and also get to write whatever I want sometimes within reason uh <laughs> and I'm also you can find me at um Polygon I'm working on something for them longer term I don't know when this episode is coming out but it'll be about um about the universal monsters uh but in the past 25 years of them not- this comes out in two weeks oh not cool. this, this week but next week yeah much faster yeah. than some of the than I edit things I'm still working on my <laughs> the, my own podcast which you can find at sportsalcohol.com hopefully in two weeks I'll have my summer 2003 uh episode where we talk about the highest grossing movies of summer 2003 up on that website which is again is sportsalcohol.com if you go there right now no matter what i know there's a 19 summer 1993 uh because we do the 20 years and the and the oh, nice. 30 years are you doing that, 2013 uh we, we're not going to 2013 until 2033 20 oh. is the lowest oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Uh, but we finished the whole 90s so i don't know if we might go back and do the 80s but then that's like none of us were like actually going to, you know right now yeah it's a mix of yeah, people yeah. where some of us were actually going to these movies in 1993 and others were catching up on video you go back to like 1984 which would be next summer and like well i was four <laughs> or three and a half so like yeah. i could talk about seeing muppets take manhattan but that would be about it um anyway sports Great motion picture um, yeah terrific movie terrific terrific film saw it twice when i was three and a half um cried when it was over because i wanted it to keep going um <laughs> sportsalcohol.com is where you can find those podcasts you can listen to me there or the new flesh or a bunch of places you can't you know you can throw a rock and you'll hit me uh on the on the <laughs> internet don't thank do you that. guys so much for uh yeah. <laughs> do yeah. not throw rocks there's enough of that on twitter thank you guys so um, much for having me i love yeah. doing the show yeah thanks so much uh we'll um we have other varied Danny Boyle highlight like we've discussed you know it's like we'll get something new every time someone uh wants to come on here and talk Boyle with us uh the boil I (laughs) we're gonna boil uh but uh I can be found on x uh, (laughs) oh I hated that you motherfuckers oh that Um, sucks so bad Jesse I I knew that he would not like that and that's why (laughs) but uh uh, I'm at Jack A. Draper I have um writing on film at the Boston Hassle um on Instagram at Jack Andrew Draper and uh this I don't this movie was streaming on stars, which I, I had my I think free... it was on sale at some point and I just bought oh, it. Fun. Yeah, I still had my free trial running from when we watched Destination Nation? Wedding. Oh, Destination Wedding. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um I'll, Clay, would you allow me to shout out another podcast? Or is that yeah, still a rule? Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Go listen to Hit Factory cover this movie with our mutual friend, Veronica Phillips. They did great episode. Uh, Excuse me. Train spotted. I'm like, T2 is not come out in the 90s. My bad. I made a mistake. But very fun episode. We love we we love Aaron and Veronica. Go listen to that. And Carly. No, Carly wasn't on that one. Oh, really? Oh, well, interesting. I'm not listening it to it. No, no. <laughs> I'll go um, listen. I never, I don't, I'll, I don't listen to podcasts and I'll go listen to that. I'll go listen to that. Yeah. yeah. I'll send you, I'll send you the link. Everyone follow me at birds of clay on Twitter. Fuck you, Elon. 
<laughs> um, Letterbox, uh, Birds of Clay ninety nine on Instagram. Uh, you can follow the podcast Twitter account ETT Pod. You can send us an email at exam three two thousand ten at gmail Please weird. I'm seeing here um the the account Birds of Clay is disabled after. Uh, is that me saying Elon. fuck Elon? Mm-hmm. No, oh that's, that's man. I, if I wanted to get my account to say, I would say a lot worse things to yeah. Elon. Um, I would tell and, him to and, and eat and, uh, an item. <laughs> and uh, and Mr. and Mr. Nike. Oh, I did. That's right. There was I when um when the Democratic governor, Democratic candidate of uh, for the governor of Oregon won, uh, Jesse, I tweeted at Nike. Uh, um, saying, I think I said, fuck you, Phil Knight. I hope someone <laughs> gets a steel boot to your balls. Something to that effect. And sure. I am the moment I tweeted it, I, my account immediately got locked. Wow. Um, I know. It was like, I, I guess it was like some algorithm. And this was before Elon, I think. Wow. Um, but yeah, so but <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Phil Knight. I hope you die. Um, and what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Run up to someone in the middle of the street. Uh I don't know. Tell them choose life and then choose exiting through 2010s and then run away. Yeah. And as always, we'll catch you next time on exiting through the 2010s.